0: Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Serving Chicago for a hundred years, you say. A century of radio funny you don't look a day over
1: 99 i've <laughs> been waiting to use that joke all week <laughs> <laughs> so we've you know we've played this song this chariots of fire song a million times forever all of the marathons and right you know all the things that have gone on through the years uh this past week the artist that performs this song vangelis passed away passed away. Yeah. So, Send our best wishes and condolences to uh, to his family. And it ties in because we have uh, we have something going on this morning, don't we?
0: The spring it is the spring half Half marathon marathon. going on, and I haven't heard a complaint from you yet. Where is everybody? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: I was expecting there to be a little more traffic in the area. Okay, here's the deal. See a thing out there this morning? They they, They came uh, in
1: all you know, like oh boy, I'll have. This uh, this will be at least two hours of things me complaining about today. (laughs) That's because... I got got nothing today. There's nothing to complain about. That's
0: because... Except that I didn't see anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's because it's all south of us. And just south of us. Because we're on Wacker. And uh, as Andy and I both encountered, Columbus... Um, closed up to Randolph Street through Grant Park and uh, down to Roosevelt. But the course, the actual course, runs up uh, Columbus and then along uh, Lakeshore Drive, DuSable Lakeshore Drive, and then just goes south from there. Back Um, on
1: Lakeshore Drive?
0: Yeah, back onto Lakeshore Drive. So
1: wait a minute. I've been complaining about this for 25 years. This is the half marathon, though. That they should just go from one end to the other. And that's what they did with this one. Are you pretty trying to, much? Are you trying to tell me that someone listened to me? <laughs> only half. And if yeah, that's, only half. Yes. If that's the case, we are in b- much bigger trouble than we thought. <laughs> if anyone is paying attention to what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, this, this it runs down uh, DuSable du- du Lakeshore Drive huh. down to around 47th and Lake Park, yeah. that area there, a yeah. little bit south, and then they turn around. Right on Lakeshore Drive, not on Lakeshore Drive. On the sidewalk there, on the, the, the route, the, the walkway there, right. yes. And then uh, up back up to uh, Grant Park, and then the finish line is just north of Monroe, uh, right where uh, would be the southeast corner of Millennium Park, where you go up into the Lurie Garden area. There, oh, hell, hell. that's where the uh, that's where the end would be. It started just south of there. But that's where the end of the half marathon is today.
1: Th- these are. Th- this is a dream come
0: true for me. <laughs> you don't need the secret route to work. I didn't. I, well, you I, don't need the underground tunnel that I, you dug. <laughs> Skycam nine. I like, Sky. have to drop you off in Dean Richards' bunker that I,
1: yeah. <laughs> that I started many years ago. <laughs> The, it's all the things I've been complaining about all these years, that why don't you make, make it a straight line, inconvenience, as few people as
0: possible. Uh, and that's what they did. Well, we can take this a step further now. Since this is a half marathon, yeah. you go down to around 47th, then come back up. Yep. If you want to do the whole marathon in October... Just Run keep, the course twice. just keep, well, Or just keep going south Or to just Indiana. keep going south, yeah. Don't stop till you get to
1: Indianapolis. And
0: then the finish line will be at, uh, at Hammond and uh, 106th <laughs> Street. <laughs> at the White
1: Castle. <laughs> It'll be at the White Castle and Hammond. What a, what a better place to end a marathon than at a White Castle.
0: <laughs> State Line Road and in, in Indianapolis is Boulevard. That, is that what it is? Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right.
1: That's been, that's got to be about twenty six miles, I would think, right? Pretty close, something like that. Pretty you gotta close. Run, you
2: got to run another twenty six
1: after eating a white, but castle. then you've
0: got to come back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, now listen, I'm full of I'm nothing but full of great ideas here. So he's full of mirth and merriment and good cheer this morning, Andy. This bodes well for us. I've noticed, yes. <laughs> now do you notice we have no answer to that. It's okay. <laughs> I'm
1: just, I was surprised when I didn't see anybody down here today.
0: I actually was myself. I,
1: I was ready that, for. I expected it was going to be trouble getting into the building and parking and street closures and the whole, the whole rigmarole that. I've been complaining I, about as long as I can remember. I
0: did have a slightly alternate route this morning. It was not a big deal because well, of because this. Because you are you know, south. You're, I'm south. You're right. south of... So I was affected by these closures in Grant Park. Schwanee lives right near the White Castle, in Hammond. <laughs> not that far south. That's what, the reason many
1: of you have asked, why does he always smell like steamed onions? <laughs> that would be the reason
0: why. <laughs> and the 1921 burger that they're advertising what is that it's their 100th anniversary everybody
1: jumping on the 100th anniversary Mm -hmm. bandwagon with us
0: a lot of uh, a lot of companies have been doing this yes so what's the 1921 burger it's, I guess it's their burger that they initiated when they started in the early 1920s. And how is and it different from the I don't, t- 2022 it may not, burger? It may not be any different at all. I don't know. I've just seen the signs on various white castles that I've driven by. I haven't tried it yet. So maybe we can get an answer from someone who know, would know more about this. 1921 burger.
1: The Google machine always knows. Let's see here. Oh, it's a premium grilled burger. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see if we've got, uh, <laughs> well, uh, the 1921 Slider, 100% beef patty, seared and seasoned, topped with caramelized onion, cheddar cheese, Roma tomato, lettuce, pickles, inspired by the one that started it all, is what it says on mm-hmm. the website.
0: Right, I don't right. Know, I don't like it. What do you mean you don't like it? You haven't even tried it. I like my Sliders classic. Oh, okay.
1: Well, mushy wet bread. <laughs> <laughs> the steamed onions. The steam, I like the steamed onions. And really, is there anything better than steamed beef? <laughs> <laughs> Grilled and seared. <laughs> Fancy Pants boy Castles. Grilled
0: and seared to order. Ooh. To taste. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I wonder how much it is. Let's see if we can see how much this is.
0: What's a what's a slider go for these days? I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't had, had one a in years. Yeah. So. That's because we're uh, so fancy. I, I think it's been eight, ten years since I've had uh, White Castle. I was in Indianapolis late one night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My eyes beheld an eerie sight. Late one night is usually in the same sentence as I went to White Castles. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's the last time I had them. But uh, they did not have the 1921 burger there in 2012. You know, this website's too
1: difficult to. Uh, you know, White Castles is getting too difficult. <laughs> I just want to know the price. That's all I want to know. That should, should be on their website. Well, they want my zip code. They want my... I, don't want, I just want to know the price. I don't need to give you my tax information. I was going
0: to say, did they want your tax return uh, next? Please enter your address. <laughs> <laughs> Not getting engaged to them. Number of years you've lived at the current residence. <laughs> <laughs> Please submit your W-2 forms. What? We yeah. would also need a utility bill and your birth certificate. Now, uh, Turns out I don't care that much, but I'm just, I'm just curious.
1: Anyway. Well, congratulations to them and everybody else celebrating a 100th birthday, which seems to be everybody these days. Very, very nice. Uh, it's 916. You know who we have on the show today. I'm very excited. Uh, Richard Thomas is going to be on today. Richard Thomas, who played John Boy Schwani on The Waltons. Oh, okay, yeah. Good night, John, Boy. Good night, John Boy. <laughs> Boy. I wonder. I wonder how many times that poor man has has heard,
0: heard that. that in his life. Every yeah.
1: single place that he goes, I somebody know. must say good night. Good night, John Boy, to him. <laughs> a la the famous closing of uh, the the uh, Waltons, uh, the show. He's in To Kill a Mockingbird. He plays Atticus Finch. In the uh, stage production of *To Kill a Mockingbird*, that's at the Niederlander Theater right now, and uh, it is so good. It is the it was great to just see a straightaway play number one. But uh, he is so good in this. This production is so good. Uh, this you know, *To Kill a Mockingbird* is the story of uh, a small town Southern lawyer who defends an African American man who has been accused of raping a white woman. Uh, so the you know the, the story of racial inequity and uh, bigotry and hate, uh, sadly, could not be more timely of, of what we're still going through after all these years. Uh, but uh, it is so well-performed. I can't recommend it enough.
0: And I'm excited that we're going to talk with uh, Richard Thomas today. Now, it's not there all that long, is it? Uh, the, the engagement is just a few weeks.
1: It's. Uh, I think we've got maybe a couple of more weeks. Maybe a week. I, I'd have to look. Wait, I have the notes right here. You know, Shawnee, there's a fair amount of preparation
0: that goes into putting on a program such as this. Well, I've thought that you know you would going to interview the the star of the show that yeah. you would know right off the top of my how head. long it would be running. Yeah. Well, and I have it here in my notes, so. I only have
1: so much room left in my memory so <laughs> I'm try not to crowd it with it. <laughs> things I don't really need long term. Uh May 29th is when it actually closes. Okay, yes. that's coming up. Yeah. So there's uh there's still time to go see it and uh, I'm excited we're going to talk with him on our theater segment this morning at 10:35. Also, we had a nice visit with a PBS chef Diane Kuchilis. She does the uh, show called My Greek Table on PBS and has written 18 cookbooks on Greek and Mediterranean cooking. And we had her on the TV morning show with me on Friday. And she cooked for me and I cooked for her. We had like a little Greek cook-off.
0: What did you end up making
1: (laughs) for her? I wound up making what I am calling Greek paella. (laughs) Greek paella. Greek paella. Now, do you know that paella... You think of it as the Spanish dish, which that's what it's called paella. But the word paella in español is actually uh, the name of the pan. Oh. it's a short pan. Short pan is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I took my, I, I went and got me one of them short pans. It was paella pans, and uh, I created. You know, I I made it with the Greek ingredients. I did a, like a Greece Greek. Rice pilaf as the base, not a saffron rice like it would be in a Spanish uh, paella. Greek pilaf, kind of a lemon rice almost. Uh, I put roasted. I roasted some vegetables until they were nice and caramelized and delicious. I put that into the uh, mixture, and instead of, uh, you could do it with seafood, you could do it with chicken, you could do it with sausage the way traditional uh, paellas are. But because I was trying to make a Greek paella. And because Diane Kochilis' sponsor is Grecian Delight Gyros, I was trying to incorporate her sponsor's product into my dish. So I put gyros in it Ah. also. It was very good. Really, it was beautiful in the nice big paella pan. And uh, it was quite delicious. Did she like it? She loved it. Good. Yeah, she said she was going to steal my recipe. So i've got my lawyers ready for that <laughs> for a price. you <laughs> can have it for it yeah. <laughs> uh, no that was that's an honor that uh, she said she wanted to steal my recipe and and it's also super easy to make. but anyway, we're going to have uh, Diane Couchillas joining us on the show today uh, as well. so I'm looking forward to that. You know what I'm really looking forward to on today's program. What's that? It's a little thing we call the far-flung forecast. Oh yeah, that. America's favorite feature? Ask anyone in any of our 50 states from sea to si- shining sea. They'll tell you. My favorite feature is the far flung forecast, the weekly compendium of interesting facts and figures, and all compiled by the one and
0: only Dave Stavros Schwann. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Uncle Dean, and good morning, everyone. Today we go to Little Falls, Minnesota. Little Falls, Minnesota. Little Falls, Minnesota. Will that almost... be L I T T L E or L I L? No, not Lil. <laughs> little. L I T right. T L E. Little Falls, okay. Minnesota, in the central part I of know the they're state. They're a big fan of Lil Nas X. Little Falls, Lil Minnesota. Wang. Lil John. Lil Lil Wayne. Falls, Minnesota. Little Falls,
1: Minnesota. All the rappers, I know yeah. they're big fans. Of. <laughs>
0: population 9140 oh, quaint. and the name comes from the fact that it was settled by a place along the Mississippi that had little falls in the water wait a minute little falls waterfalls in the in the uh, in the uh, river as it goes by where the town is yeah. but little falls or low falls minnesota is the boyhood home of Charles A. Lindbergh. And it was on last Friday's date, and it was great. 95 years ago, on May 20th, 1927, that Charles A. Lindbergh took off from Roosevelt Field on Long Island, New York, for the world's first solo nonstop flight between New York and Paris. May 20th, 1927, hmm. the plane barely made it off the runway, and he flew 33 and a half hours before landing at Le Bourget Field in Paris, the first pilot to accomplish that solo. Non-stop transatlantic crossing. He was so tired at the end, he was holding his eyelids open. My arms are exhausted? (laughs) He was was holding his eyelids open (laughs) with his fingers. But he was uh, raised in Low Falls, Minnesota, who has uh, sunny skies and 47 today.
1: Just on a related note, it was on this day in 1906 that the Wright brothers got a patent for what was called... Their flying machine. Their flying machine. The aeroplane. The flying machine. God, have you ever seen that? Have you ever gone to the National Space Museum in Washington? No, I haven't, and I should. I would
0: also like to go to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina.
1: Yeah, that would be. That's uh, that. that Both, I'm sure, very cool. I've never gone to Kitty Hawk, but I've been to this uh, space museum. Oh
0: yeah, I remember you coming back and just couldn't say enough of
1: it. I loved it. You would. You would love it because the actual Kitty Hawk is there. The, the Wright right, brothers right, plane right. is there. Yeah. The Lindbergh plane. Yeah, uh, Spirit of St. Louis is that the Spirit
0: called? of St. Louis? Yes, it's it's that's yeah. right. He that's was a mail
1: delivery pilot. Yeah, many of the many of the early uh, space missions, the Apollo capsules are there, and uh, I would and imagine Apollo eleven, maybe thirteen would yeah. be there too. Yeah, you can, and you can just go right up to them, and uh, you know you're you're like an inch away from all of them. It's it's uh, fantastic and really cool, but Happy anniversary to the uh, Wright brothers uh, as well for their their patent.
0: You know, think about this. They only... also
1: didn't serve peanuts on that flight. No, no,
0: <laughs> nothing was served on that flight. But 1927, that's only 42 years before we're walking on the moon. Not think crazy. about that. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. May 20th, 1927 was Charles Lindbergh's flight, who was born and raised in Little Falls, Minnesota.
1: It's 937 now, and this is Dean Richards, Sunday morning on WGN. Always look forward to chatting with our pal, Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Northwestern Central DuPage Hospital. Dr. Most, good morning to you, my friend. Good morning, Dean. How are you guys doing this morning? We are uh, doing fine, but tons of questions. uh, Right when we hoped that things would be leveling off with COVID, Chicago Tribune writes, uh, the Chicago area is expected to in- increase to a high community level of COVID-19 next week as positive cases continue to rise across the city and suburbs. Uh, do you think uh, that is also a probability?
3: Oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a probability. And in fact, if we did not have home testing, we would already be at that level. Everyone has to remember that. You know the test uh, rates that they're talking about are those that are done in the, in the se- in the private sector, essentially the public sector, versus those that are done in the privacy of their individual's home, where we don't capture that result. So certainly it's a little bit alarming because as you remember, just a few weeks ago, Chicago, the city of Chicago, was still in low, where the collar counties were in moderate, and it'll soon be where we are all at high. So it's it, people have to understand it's still out there. And we just kind of let a lot of our mitigation, you know ball to the wayside
1: time magazine uh they're they're doing an exceptional job of covering covid by the way if uh, you're interested in the subject uh, take a look online at what time magazine is writing but what what they are saying is basically the same thing only from a national perspective that uh people uh, are testing positive again at alarmingly high rates So I guess the question is, you know, how do we try to stem this? Do we go back to social distancing? Do we go back to uh, mask mandates? Do we go back to, uh, you know, keeping our distance from uh, certain sectors of people?
3: Yeah, Dean, it's interesting. I think we've almost taken it as we're accepting this illness now, because when we use the mask mandate, talk about that topic. When would we trigger that again? Not until there was a burden in the hospitals. So the public burden is still going to be high. But if it's not stressing the healthcare system, we're going to continue to allow it. But think about when we were in the middle of this, you never would have thought about shaking hands with somebody, giving them a hug, you know, uh, washing your hands like every couple minutes. All those things that's really slowed down the spread of this illness are gone. Um, so, yeah, I do think that Uh, we're going to see the spread and it's going to continue and we're probably going to get a summer bump instead of a small uh, instead of a fall bump
1: so i'm i'm not sure i'm hearing what you're recommending i mean it sounds like you're saying (laughs) it sounds like you're saying uh it's your own personal choice as to whether or not you want to go back to some of these protections i guess
3: yeah i don't think you're going to have big brother saying we'll say the government we don't i don't think you're going to see the government saying you're going back to mask mandates It'll be interesting to see what they do with public transportation. There's such a lobbyist group out there to, to continue with the way it is now, where it's optional, that I don't think that will push. I would say if you're immunocompromised, if you live with someone who's immunocompromised, you know, if, if you're uh, over the age of 65, I certainly would say continue to be careful. Hospitalizations are down, but they are still present. And I can tell you the people that are getting this, they're, they're sick. They may not be sick enough to be in the hospital, but just talk to any of your friends that have it certainly you're going to have those that say it was just a mild cold but you're going to have others that say i was pretty knocked out for a good five six seven days right
1: yeah that's that's what i've been hearing and more and more suddenly i know lots of people who have uh, tested positive coworkers and you know friends and you know people who are just out of the out of the blue i mean they escaped it for the entire duration of the pandemic and now when masks are coming down and people are shaking hands and hugging is taking place as you say all you know like kind of uh life as we once knew it uh you know people are are testing positive and they're they're down for the count for about a week or so are we still seeing are we still seeing uh uh seniors as uh the the biggest candidate for this now are we still seeing immunocompromised people uh or are there other age groups now that are more greatly affected by this
3: Well, as far as greatly affected, we're really seeing that 20- to 40-year-old group, that very socially active group, are the ones that are really starting to test positive quite a bit. The good thing about seniors is the vast majority of them have been not only vaccinated, oh, well over 90%, but over 75% of them have actually been boosted as well. So those are the individuals that see this as a threat of my life and a threat to my well-being, and they're doing it. Well, we have the twenty to forty year old saying, "Well, you know what it's going to be a bad cold, it's going to be here forever, let's just get used to it and that you know the economy of the the two choices or the two differences are are what's kind of concerning as we're still trying to protect that population and yet we have a large swath of the population that says, "Hey, it's here forever, let's just live with it
1: so I've noticed uh the people are uh not cleaning like you know in public uh, places in the workplace i guess you might say is where really i notice it most during the pandemic we would all come to our workplace and scrub down our work area the computer keyboard the the desk area everything the telephone make make sure that everything's nice and clean Um, people are not doing that as much now i wonder if that is contributing to it but on the other hand You've told us so many times that this uh, uh virus does not live on surfaces that uh, you know that's what we thought in the beginning but is not the case now. Am I wrong about that?
3: No, no, you're absolutely right. You know, the transmissibility of this off of a surface or off of an object is extremely low. But I can tell you those same individuals that are cleaning their office like that are also washing their hands, are also making sure that they're distanced. They are that mindset of, hey, this is still so serious, let's take care of it that way. I don't see people saying, you know what, I'm going to wash down my uh, work site, but then I am not going to wash my hands. I'm not going to shake, you know, and I'm still going to shake hands and give hugs. Those kind of, those are the people that actually are going to stay safe. I'm not sure we're going to ever actually continue to minimize the spread of this. I think we have too much widespread lack of mitigation throughout the country that we're, we're not going to slow it down. Look, we're in the middle of wedding season, right? It's, it's like there's a wedding every other hour out here, and it's those individuals that are going to become. I don't want to say super spreader events, but certainly ones where the virus is going to have a greater opportunity to
1: spread. 847 Area Code asks, should I feel confident swimming in an outside swimming pool?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're outside, that's great. And the beauty of swimming is not only is it great exercise for you, great for your joints and your heart and all that, but you really can't get close to anybody when you're swimming, right? So, you know, being outside in a pool is great that's one thing we have going for us is the weather finally is allowing us to get outside and getting us away from those enclosed spaces but certainly going to a pool is a great idea you can distance and you're going to get good exercise that's not going to be disruptive to your knees and back and things like running and and heavy walking would do
1: I, i would have i might have asked that same question though with you know people spitting in the pool and you know there's there's a lot floating around in that pool That uh, I might be concerned about.
3: There, there is, but you have to remember that those pools are heavily chlorinated, so that no bacteria actually live in those. That's why the the water is so clear, and sometimes why your skin gets irritated after swimming, because we really have put safeguards in to make sure that the pools are safe from a public health point of view to begin with.
1: Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and get to some more questions for Doctor Kevin Most. It is nine fifty, and this is Dean Richards Sunday morning. Actor Richard Thomas coming up in about a half an hour, starring in To Kill a Mockingbird, the cast of Downton Abbey later on. And Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Central DuPage Hospital on with us right now. Uh, Dr. Most, how concerned should we be with the monkey pox that we're hearing about all the time?
3: Well, it's really interesting, Dean. You know, anytime you get a monkeypox case anywhere in the world, it kind of gets everyone's attention. And certainly this outbreak of about 20 monkeypox cases, but if they've been across the world, I mean, been in UK, Spain, France, Canada, at least. So it's not like there's this big outbreak and it's not like we have found that the monkeypox that they have identified has mutated and is any more contagious. So certainly not a big concern for people. I think it's more of a interest to the public health people, and interest to uh, researchers, but nothing where I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is going to start exploding with growth. You know, we, we've been talking about we in the medical field have known about this for about a month now. So certainly nothing that has continued to spread where we're having outbreaks of it. We're having rare cases. And the interesting thing is we can't trace it back as to travel. We can't trace it back as to how these individuals contacted each other. So it's uh, it's interesting, but I wouldn't be concerned about it at
1: all. Boy, we slam right into panic mode, though, right, when we hear about oh, gosh, something yeah. these days. Right. Because you know, we think, oh, boy, now what? Now now what are we going to deal with? Uh, yes. Lori is uh, on the phone at 312-981-7200. Lori, you're on with Dr. Kevin Most on WGN.
4: Good morning. Um you know, you
5: mentioned earlier, Dr. Most, that um, people are kind of ready to just learn to live with COVID. Um, I'm fully vaccinated, twice twice boosted. I work in a school
6: district where we get daily reports who has COVID. Um, most people are vaccinated and they're getting it, but they're not terribly sick. So my question to you is, what is wrong with just everybody going ahead and getting COVID? I don't mean everybody, but, you know, those who are vaccinated. Um,
5: because you're only sick, you know, for a few days. I am um, I get the flu shot every year. Sometimes I get the flu, sometimes I don't. So I'm just curious at what point do we say that we have the herd immunity and then it's okay?
3: Yeah, Lori, so you asked the question, and you, the way you asked it was very interesting, right? You get a report out every day of who has COVID. Now, I don't know what the impact has been, and the, the uh, school district workforce, but I can tell you in the hospital workforce, it's something we watch every day. So last week, you know, our hospital had 60 people out with COVID. So fielding a team to make sure that you have high quality individuals in the workplace, whether it's manufacturing, school, healthcare is probably one of our biggest concerns here. So that is one of the things living with it was is one thing and we have to understand then that we're going to have an impact on the economy. But I still come back to if we're not going to do what we can to protect those who are immunocompromised and elderly, what's our thought process there? Why aren't we going to do this to protect somebody who's over 70 so that they can make it to 95 versus saying, you know what, this is just something we're going to have. Let's just live with it. And it's Darwinism. It's the survival of the fittest. And I I just think that the vaccine and public health should be able to extend everyone's lives. Uh, and not just at the convenience of those who want it. That's just my personal opinion.
1: Thank you for your call. Lori 773 area code texts. I take CTA buses and most don't wear masks. Am I safe if I am masked?
3: Well, you, you know, you are. At least you have some protection. If you're vaccinated and masked, certainly you do have. You know, the public transportation, especially in CTA buses where, you know, they can be quite crowded, you know in airports certainly there's areas of being crowded, but that's one of the reasons that we had the mask mandate on there. So there are two things with the mask. If you remember initially we were putting that on to protect others from us. And then we actually we did the studies, we actually show that the masking actually does help protect us for a couple of reasons. One, it, it doesn't allow you to, you know, take things in real easily if you were exposed to somebody. Two, probably one of the biggest things is it stops you from touching your nose and mouth, which is one of the ways we get infected. After coughing in our hand, shaking someone's hand, we touch our mouth or face. So certainly wearing a mask, although you may feel a a little bit unusual, I would say you're doing the right thing for yourself and for those around you.
1: Rose is on 312-981-7200. Rose, you're on WGN.
5: Well, good morning. First of all, thank you for being there, Dr. Mosin Dean. We just enjoy your program. My question is about my husband, who has a cold. it started last Sunday. Uh, sinus issue, no temperature. and I think he's at the end of it, but he does he is overdue for his booster, which he had uh, the last one was in January. So how soon would he be able to get the booster? I'd send him out tomorrow if I could, but and he's not we've tested him. He doesn't have COVID this time.
3: Okay, when you say you'd send them out tomorrow, Rose, you mean you'd send them out to get his booster, not just you'd
1: send them out, right? Oh, uh, all right.
5: We're not going to say on the radio which one it
1: is. Depends on the day, probably. Totally. (laughs) Right, right. So
3: your husband right now, if he just has a a good spring cold, you know, probably adenovirus or rhinovirus, the, the immune system is trying to fight that off. If his symptoms are resolving now, I would say this time next week, he would be good to get that, that that booster and know that that booster will start working within the next week or so. So certainly tell him to be really careful these next couple of days, um, wash his hands, but allow the immune system to fight off the rhinovirus that he has right now and then get the booster here in about uh, you know five, seven days.
5: Five to seven days. Great. Yep.
1: Rose, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Dr. Kevin Most, Thank you, my friend, and I hope you have a wonderful Sunday today. Thank you.
3: You got it, Dean. Take care.
1: I think enough time has passed that I could steal this to become the theme song <laughs> for the <this> show. <laughs> That's the original version, too. Oh, here we go. Here he goes on a little jazz, jazz
0: riff here. Here we go.
1: Remember I interviewed Dr. Severinsen? I almost said Dr. Kevin Most. Dr. Kevin Most. (laughs) Does does Dr. Most
0: play trumpet too?
1: How did I never call Doc Severinsen for (laughs) COVID advice? (laughs) I remember you, the interview with Doc Severinsen, yes. That's when Antenna TV started carrying uh, the the Johnny Carson shows. uh, Weeknights at 9, still fun to watch, by the way. And the reason that I'm playing this is that today... Is the 30th anniversary of when Johnny Carson went off the air. Oh, okay. When Johnny Carson yeah. said his uh, final goodbye. May
0: of 1992,
1: yes. May, May 22nd, bum, bum. Uh, 1992, uh, Johnny uh, sat on that stool... And uh, gave us a very heartfelt
0: uh, goodbye. And a tearful farewell, too, at the end. Yeah. I still have that on a VHS cassette somewhere. (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) Yes. You you still have a VHS player? (laughs) 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 Yes, I do. Wow. Yes, I do. uh, And And then when I'm done with that, I play my 78 RPM records. (laughs) Beta. (laughs) Do you have beta? (laughs) No, it was VHS. I had a friend who had beta, though. It's one of those that has the uh, remote control via the wire that's connected that's right. to the actual unit. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. No, it's not that old. Okay. I got rid of that one.
1: Uh, I have in my, uh, mu- I, I think I've mentioned this on the air, I have a, in my office at home, I have a museum of obsolete electronics. You know, things that I bought that y- you can't even buy stuff for them anymore to try to fix them or use them. I have uh, I have my VHS uh, player, I have a, a VHS player that also has a DVD player. Ooh. Oh, wow. You all can do in, two. All in one. So when one breaks down... The whole the thing other. is
7: useless.
1: <laughs> <laughs> genius thought he was
0: like, I sure, oh, I'm sure. i just going to buy one thing to replace both. I sure enjoyed the display of the marvelous vintage equipment here in the uh, hallway here at the station right. uh, celebrating our 100th anniversary. Yeah. M- most of that equipment
1: we still use, by the way. <laughs> we just have never up. Oh, it. analog VU meters. I have uh, an 8-track player at home. Hmm. I have a real to real uh player I do too it Cause. needs work, but I have it right no dork who was in radio didn 't have a real to real player at home i 've got all this uh all this obsolete stuff that i haven 't touched in y- decades i haven 't touched it, but it's part of my part of my ute yeah I have a uh, a mini disc player oh. at home because we used to use that on
2: interviews when I was right. uh, doing Cubs games we right. were Two theaters on uh, on uh, mini disc, and I also now you can put your iPod into it because that's toast.
1: Right? Yeah, those, those. You know, and everybody thought, "Wow, this is the future." I can put my whole music library on one of these little iPods and carry that around. And nobody, nobody has those anymore. Can you even buy those anymore?
2: I think they just went out of production. I think a couple weeks ago. I that's think. Sad.
1: That's sad. Uh, It doesn't seem like that long ago, does it? 30 years that Johnny Carson went off the air? It just, it it, it completely seems like uh, just yesterday. uh, And still is one of the great uh, sign-offs, I think, of all time.
6: And so so it has come to this. I uh, am one of the lucky people in the world. I found something I always wanted to do, and I have enjoyed every single minute of it. I want to thank the gentleman who've shared this stage with me for 30 years, Mr.
8: Ed McMahon. (laughs) Mr. Doc Severinsen.
6: You people watching, I can only tell you that it has been an honor and a privilege to come into your homes all these years and entertain you. And I hope when I find something that I want to do and I think you will like and come back that you'll be... As gracious inviting me into
1: your home as you have been, I bid you a very heartfelt good night. That's classy right there. That is the definition of classy. It It is. is.
0: And he never really did much else. He just kind of went into obscurity. He
1: he chose not to. He he went into retirement. Unlike almost everybody that goes into retirement and then they pop up on other things. He pretty much did not. He did one cameo appearance. On uh, David Letterman, uh, when when Dave was in, you know how he would do a show from Los Angeles once in a while. Uh, Johnny Johnny did a quick cameo where he brought he brought a little portable desk out, (laughs) (laughs) and he pretended to be the host of the show. And then he he just he he set up this little portable desk. The audience was going wild. He he took the portable desk and he left. That's all there was. (laughs) (laughs) That was his whole portable desk. But uh, it's, it's great, these uh, old reruns of Carson on Antenna TV. It's really fun to see the master at work with the, you know, the monologue. But I look at him as the master interviewer, you know, as somebody that spends a lot of my time interviewing other people. I look to see how Johnny did it. Uh, and it 's a
0: master class really to it is to watch him do that it is, and and also could be just the the best at coming back with a one liner you know with a with a one line
1: yeah. singer Some, sometimes not even that,
0: sometimes just a like a, a
1: raised eyebrow to the camera mm-hmm.
0: yeah, or just that look that he would get <laughs> right yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: I mean he truly <laughs> truly was the the greatest of all time, so uh, it 's uh, kind of a bittersweet anniversary. And think of all that's happened in late night TV since Johnny retired mm-hmm. thirty years ago. Uh, the you know the Jay Leno David Letterman battle, uh, Conan O'Brien on in late night, Arsenio Hall in late night. I mean, they, it's come and gone. The Daily Show, n- name them. They've they've all come and gone from uh, late night TV. Nobody really has had that kind of impact that uh, that Johnny Carson did through the years. It's very interesting right now with. Uh, Stephen Colbert with Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon. Most of the time, uh, Stephen Colbert wins the ratings battle at night. Jimmy Kimmel does uh, often as well. Fallon, not so much as uh, as when uh, the whole thing started. It's uh, I, I think the way people watch television is uh, changing.
0: Oh yeah, drastically.
1: Yeah, I think I, I think you know how people are entertaining themselves. Uh, you know the idea that
0: everybody goes to a late night talk show these days. I, I, I don't think that's the case anymore. And there was a time also when uh, Johnny Carson was on, where both of the competing networks, CBS and ABC, had competing late night shows. Joey Bishop on ABC, and for a while Merv Griffin on CBS. Merv
1: Griffin, yeah. Didn't Pat Sajak have a late night? He have, may have had one for a one minute. For yeah. A minute. Yeah. So also, yeah. Bob Costas had one too. Bob Costas had that was like a late late thing, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's great. He's he's one that I admire greatly as uh, an interviewer as well. Uh, there it, it's it's been a lot and some uh, television history was made last night as well when uh, four members of Saturday Night Live signed off. Uh, uh, Kate McKinnon uh, signed off uh, after oh, about ten years. On Saturday Night Live, uh, they they wrote a sketch in which she was abducted by aliens. <laughs> and, and you know, that was sort of her uh, send-off. AD Bryant, uh, who is great on that show, is uh, also leaving SNL. Uh, and uh, Pete Davidson uh, is uh, also saying goodbye. Pete Davidson, one of the youngest members ever, cast members on Saturday Night Live... And certainly, one that's garnered, uh, you know, probably the most attention after he was uh, engaged to Ariana Grande. After dating her for only two weeks, uh, his his personal life, his love life, has been uh, well documented in in headlines. His struggles with depression and addiction, uh, well documented. His father dying at the World Trade Center on nine eleven, well documented. Uh, but he appeared on Weekend Update last night, and uh, he also said goodbye thanking the producer of the show, the uh, very well-known Lauren Michaels.
4: He's led us through the COVID era, even though the only time he wears a mask is at his eyes wide shut parties.
7: <laughs>
4: there you go. <laughs> yeah. Sure, yeah, they got there. He, uh, he always gives the best advice, really. This is all true advice that Lauren's given me. Um, I'll never forget this. I I called him and said, uh, when I got engaged, I said, Lauren, I just got engaged to Ariana Grande after dating for two weeks. And he said, oh, hold on for dear life. (laughs) It's a true thing he said. (laughs) And then I remember when I auditioned for SNL, he looked me right in the eye and said... I don't know if, uh, I don't think you're right for this show. So let's screw this up together. And that's exactly what we did, and that's why people who don't think I deserve this job shouldn't hate me since we have so much in common. Like, if anything, I should inspire hope, you know, like that literally anyone could be on Saturday Night Live. Seriously, you see a guy bombing cigarettes outside of 7 Eleven at 2 a.m., that's not some meth head. That's the next Pete Davidson. Well, I- I'm going to miss you, Pete. Oh, well, thanks, Colin, even though I know it says that on your cue card. <laughs> You've been like an older brother to me in, that, uh, you know, in the way that my mom openly loves you more than she does me. <laughs> and I appreciate SNL always having my back and allowing me to work on myself and grow. And, you know, thank you to Lauren for never giving up on me or, you know, judging me, even when, like, everyone else was. And for believing in me and allowing me to have a place that, like, I could call home. With the memories that'll last uh, a lifetime, so thank you, guys.
2: Pete Davidson.
1: Yeah, that was nice. A nice uh, heartfelt uh, sign-off. I think he's very funny. He's uh, you know given us lots of good movies. That's what he's going to concentrate on. Kate McKinnon uh, will be uh, concentrating on motion pictures. A.D. Uh, Bryant, uh, all ditto. Uh, as uh, will continue to work on uh, motion pictures, uh, her and uh, her series. Uh, that has been running, and um, uh who else i'm 'm I'm, I'm, uh, blanking on the name of there's oh Kyle, Kyle mooney, mooney yeah Kyle mooney yeah uh, it was also kind of like an understated uh, character on the show uh he uh, also signed off uh, for the final time last night, so it 's going to be a whole new s n l when it comes back uh, in the fall very interesting uh ten nineteen is the time do you, do you have a uh, favorite uh, uh cast members? Of Saturday Night Live through the years. I mean, this show has a 47 year history. Uh, do, you, do you have favorites? Do you go back to the early days for your favorites of Belushi and Gilda Radner? Do you go. Eddie Murphy. A little oh, yeah. further. Eddie Murphy's fantastic. Piscopo. Uh Really? Yeah, he, he was hotter than anything yep. uh, back in the day, that's for sure. Uh, Kristen Wig was always one of my super favorites on the show. How about you? 312-981-7200. Get into our theater segment in a couple of minutes. Today we're going to be talking about the Looking Glass Alice over at the Looking Glass Theater. That is uh, part live production, part circus. Uh, Very interesting concept. Also, though, we'll be joined by Richard Thomas. Uh, You know him probably best as John Boy from the Waltons. He's appeared uh, recently on Ozark and uh, many, many, many productions. Is uh, currently starring as Atticus Finch in uh, the production of To Kill a Mockingbird, which is at the Nederlander Theater through uh, one week from today, through the uh, 29th. And it's highly recommended. Uh, they, they do such an amazing, amazing job uh, in telling this classic uh, Harper Lee story from 1960 that uh, sadly still rings true today about uh, racial disparity and uh, just plain old bigotry and hatred uh, toward one another uh, in uh, different races. Uh, Richard Thomas joining us after the 1030 uh, newscast. In the meantime, talking a little about uh, Saturday Night Live, all the cast members that signed off for the final time last night. And uh, I was just wondering who some of your favorites have been. On our text line so far... 312-981-7200, 3129817200 by the way if you'd like to get on the phone line or text uh but on our text line right now overwhelmingly uh people talking about Phil Hartman as being uh their uh, favorite on the show and what amazing characters Phil Hartman uh gave us through the years uh that's for sure uh Keenan uh Thompson also mentioned he is the uh, cast member with uh, the greatest longevity of any cast member, he's been on the show longer than anybody on that show. Uh, people mentioning Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, a classic era on that show. Seth Meyers, who was the Weekend Update uh, host for a long time. Billy Crystal, uh, Mike Myers, and Dana Carvey both mentioned. Wayne's World uh, was born uh, out of that. Uh, Gilda Radner, of course. John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, among the names that are being uh, texted in. But, Ken, you go along with uh, the, the Phil Hartman, right, Is one of the greatest characters ever on SNL. I, I think I have to agree with that.
4: You know, I just watched it last night. It's ironic. Uh, I have uh, the DVDs and... His skit when he plays President Clinton and goes into McDonald's and starts talking about all the warlords and eating the food is just a magnificent scene.
1: I remember him as um, Frankenstein, where he didn't really do anything but grunt. But I, <laughs> weren't they singing? Uh, were they singing a Christmas carol or something? I'm trying to remember. It, it was like several classic horror movie characters and he played frankenstein and all he did was you know the the frankenstein grunt and he was absolutely hilarious
4: and some of the finest comedy of not really having any lines but just the acting alone was enough to make it funny
1: yeah yep i agree that's a a, that's a a, a (laughs) great choice i appreciate your call thanks a lot you're welcome dude Bye-bye. Have a great day. Oh, here's, uh, of course, uh, uh, 708, remembering the great Tim Kazerinsky, uh Chicago's very own, still very active uh, in uh, theater and all kinds of endeavors here in the Chicago area. And I remember, of course, the, the commentary that Tim used to do with the chimpanzee uh, and reacting to a very unpredictable chimpanzee, uh, ab- absolute, complete genius. Uh, 815 area code remembering uh Julia Louis Dreyfus. Uh we have uh some here remembering let me see, Martin Short. Martin Short wasn't on SNL for a very long time, but he he definitely uh left a mark there. He was you know part of the Second City TV cast, uh which was also fantastic and legendary in its uh its own way. Uh, but uh, you know, I think everybody you know they they wanted to be uh, they wanted to be on s n l that was uh the the high point of a lot of comedians career eight four seven remembering that Phil Hartman also did the caveman lawyer character <laughs> that 's right he gave us some fantastic characters and uh, tragically died uh, way 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 too young so anyway we're you know just remembering uh, some of the uh, characters on SNL that we've said uh, goodbye to, uh, including Pete Davidson, who, who in a very short time definitely made his mark. Uh, Kate McKinnon, who is you know one of the great standout players of all time, AD Bryant uh, for sure, and uh, you know we'll we'll see uh, what comes next. Um, uh, people still remember Father Guido Sarducci. Wow, there's a name uh, from the past. How about that? Uh, Father Guido Sartucci was hilarious. Uh, Gilda Radner, Lorraine Newman, uh, the church lady. Remember the church lady? That was Dana Carvey's, uh, famous character. And, uh, the 224 area code also remembering Joe Piscopo. Uh, he, he, he made his mark on that show. He very most definitely did. All right, let's take a quick break and get updated for the news. And then when we come back from all of that, we will be talking. With Richard Thomas, starring in To Kill a Mockingbird here in Chicago. Stick around. <laughs> it is ten thirty-seven. This is Dean Richards Sunday morning on WGN. This week on our weekend theater segment, we focus in on one of the classics in American literature and American stage to Kill a Mockingbird. Set in Alabama in 1934, it is Harper Lee's story of racial injustice and childhood innocence, that uh, even though the book itself was uh, first released in 1960, uh, sadly still rings true today in the year 2022. And all focusing on a small time uh, lawyer by the name of Atticus Finch.
9: When I was a boy, I had, my father gave me one of those air rifles. An air rifle. He said he'd rather I shoot at tin cans in the backyard, but that he knew one day the temptation would become too great and I'd want to shoot at birds. He said I could shoot all the Blue Jays I want, probably knowing I'd never be able to hit one, But to always remember that it was a sin to kill a mockingbird.
1: Pivotal moment in this amazing production that's now being staged at the Nederlander Theater here in Chicago through uh, one week from today, May 29th. And starring Richard Thomas who you know from so many different productions in motion pictures and in television and uh, probably know uh, best from uh, the long-running The Waltons on television as uh, John Boy. It's a pleasure to welcome Richard Thomas to the uh, program. Richard, I cannot even tell you how moved I was seeing your performance uh, in To Kill a Mockingbird the other night uh here
9: Well, Dean, here thank you so talking. much. Happy Sunday. It's great to be with you. Happy, I appreciate your kind
10: words.
1: Happy Sunday uh to you and 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 thank you for for bringing these words uh back uh you know maybe more poignant than ever uh sadly in, in this, I know this world in crazy, which we're living now, right?
9: What, what I know. I mean, it's a it's a privilege to be bringing the show around the country. It's a Aaron Sorkin has done such an amazing job adapting Harper Lee's book and and you know, he 's created such a rich Atticus fence for the stage, and so it 's just been not only delightful for the actor but also a privilege to just bring this this subject matter around the country because sadly, what you say is absolutely true you know it's a it 's a picture of us as we were in one thousand nine hundred thirty four but it 's also in many in, in large measure a picture of us as we are today,
1: yeah, I wonder if Harper Lee could have ever possibly imagined. Uh, when this book came out in 1960, uh, you know, it maybe one of the worst parts of uh, uh, violations of civil rights in America for African American mm-hmm. people—that all these years later, we'd still be dealing with exactly the same issues of uh, you know r- racial injustice and prejudice and hatred and voter inequity. Uh, the, all, every single thing could be, could have been ripped I know. from yesterday's I know. headlines
9: she would probably have hoped that the book would no longer be relevant but part of her i'd imagine would have imagined that it was i mean it is such a picture of of us as a as a people and and the distance between our aspirations and the reality of our of our lives you know and one of the beautiful things about the story is that even though it, it, it does show us how short we fall of from our from what we aspire to that That the aspiration and the attempt to do the good and do the right thing is always with us, and we shouldn't ever give up on that. Yeah, and it's a beautiful story about children, about about raising kids, and about kids growing up and the loss of innocence, not only for the the Finch kids but also for Atticus himself.
1: The 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 words uh, that Harper Lee gave you, and uh, also Aaron Sorkin uh, gave you for this, are are moving and poignant and funny uh, at times. Yes. But, uh, this ensemble, these, these performances in this production, yeah. uh, are, are, are I mean,
9: nothing- I love, this is a wonderful company and it's a deep bench, you know, it, it's so beautifully cast. I, I, and it is an ensemble because there's a sense throughout the entire play, of the community of people that we're, where Atticus and his family is living, and and all the actors, the ensemble actors, the featured act, everybody helps bring it all to life. We we sort of make the play all of us together, and it's a wonderful experience for the ensemble to have. But it's also a fantastic group of actors. I mean, we have a great Chicago actress, Jacqueline Williams, of course, in the, in the production. Who is just, just a spectacular Calpernia and Melanie Moore is scout and we have of course mary Batham yeah in our company and mary Batham played scout in the movie that's amazing uh, originally yeah. in, the, in the picture with greg peck and she's so wonderful in it and it's so great to have her with us she's a uh, She's our great good luck charm to have her with us touring the country. Well,
1: I'm glad you brought up, uh, Greg Peck, as you call him. I love that. I love the familiarity. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I, no, no. I, knew, I Yeah.
0: I, I th- no,
1: I, <laughs> I love that. I, I, I love that you feel close to him, but I wonder if it was intimidating at all taking on this role no. that he first brought no. to the screen, uh, as Atticus Finch.
9: No, not really. I mean, it's, you know, it was a different time. There were different styles of performing. Um, it's in the nature, especially if you're a theater actor, as I have been my whole life, you, you know, taking on roles that have been played brilliantly by other actors is something that you just do. I mean, you know, I, I certainly wasn't the first actor to play Hamlet. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that doesn't, right. that doesn't stop you from doing it. The most The most important thing is, really, is to just, is to understand that the only thing you can really bring to a performance is yourself and that's never going to be like anybody else. So, you know, you you want you you people have asked me, oh, what is it like to play this icon? You know, Atticus Finch, and I always say, well you can't play icons are unplayable. You can't play an icon. You can only play a person. And and fortunately Aaron has given Atticus such a human quality. He's 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 taken him down off his pedestal And uh, and and made him a man who is having a really difficult journey towards understanding. And uh, and so that so I don't have to worry about the the iconic nature of the role or or Gregory Peck's fabulous Performance, which indeed, of course, it is. Uh, I just have to take the journey that Aaron has given me to take every night, and and uh, and just do my best at that.
1: Yeah, it's I, I can't recommend it enough. I, I hope people will uh, come and uh, take a look. It's only here for another week in Chicago at yeah. the, the Nederlander Theater. I'll tell you what else has come up. I mean, I've talked about you being in To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, on right. uh, our, our television morning show, and also here on the radio, and everybody is talking about ask him about Ozark. He was so great in <laughs> Ozark. Uh, you, I mean, th- this is the range of great characters that you've played throughout your entire career,
9: really, right? Well, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, it, yes, it's 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 a pleasure um, to be able to. This is why we want to become actors, actually, because as Children, we want to be all these different people when we play. I think that's why we call us players. And part of the joy is is uh, is to play these wildly different people. I would say that I would say that uh, you know the Wendy's father in Ozark is kind of the engine that yes. yes, that's um, what I mean. That's so different. I know. I know the creepy dad, as opposed to the <laughs> as, as opposed to the to the terrific dad, you know. But that was a delicious part to play. It's a great show, Ozark, and and um, you know to to play with Julia Garner, to play with the, the the wonderful Laura Linney, you know. I mean, we just it was it was such a pleasure, and and uh, I, I, and those roles those. Those bad guys are so tasty. I mean, they truly are. I have to say, it's a great joy to play a good man like Atticus Finch, and it's it's a it's another kind of joy to play such a terrible oh, such a terrible yeah. person oh. as, Nathan, as Nathan Davis.
1: Yeah, I've I've talked to so many actors who have said they they love getting their teeth into these just awful bad guys. Uh,
9: well, yeah, uh, I mean they're great they're, they're great fun to play, and and also and also they're they're interesting to play as an actor because you know you can't you have to play a person you still have to play a person you have to figure out what this person wants what makes this person happy what makes this person sad and angry and to try to play these bad guys as you know as people and as people who have needs and goals and frustrations and desires and uh, and, and and so you dip into your own psyche for those for those those things, because believe me, we've got the we've got the dark in there as well as, as, well as the light, and you just you know you sort of uh, work that patch of ground, and it's very fruitful and very interesting.
1: I wonder how you feel about uh, you know the way people are watching. Television now, you know, it, it's it's very different from the way we used to watch The Waltons every week. You know, the people are, are yes, watching When dinosaurs
9: when dinosaurs walk, <laughs> when, when the dinosaurs walk <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> the you know, people are, are watching you know, streaming these series now, and you can binge uh, you know, a whole I season know. in one night. Uh, it, I, I guess that's a good time for actors, right? There's there's so much more out there for people to watch now.
9: Oh, it's a terrific time for actors. There's so much product, there's maybe too much product, but I mean there's, there's so many different types of shows and there's so many different platforms on which one can work. Uh and, and I think it's I think it's just great for for um for actors right now. It's a very fruitful time. Uh and um so we're all we're all reaping the benefits of that. I mean, it, it's uh it's it's a bit of a glut, you know. Uh, so, I mean, when we were, when I was doing the Waltons way back then and there were three networks and you did a show, you know, I mean, when you got your share of the audience, I mean, it's like a third of the people in the entire country were watching you. Now, you know, the pie is cut into so many smaller pieces. Right. It's a little bit different, right. but right. the event, the opportunity for work is, uh, is, is really terrific for actors. Um, you know, but I never want theater to get lost in the shuffle, especially drama, and that's why it's been so... I've, I've enjoyed touring. You know, I, I was I was here with the Humans a few years ago and the 12 Angry Men a few years before that right. because I love touring plays. They don't get toured enough, and uh, going to see a drama is a wonderful alternative for people. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to the preacher of the choir here in Chicago because Chicago is one of the great theater communities in, in America. Well, uh, you know, even, with,
1: even we said uh, after... You know we, we had to like sit in silence for a little while at the conclusion of uh, Mockingbird, uh, just to kind of absorb it and take it all in, but we all said how how nice it was to have a nice, serious uh, evening of an intelligent drama. Uh, to, right. to, to sit with nothing against musicals love musicals no but uh it's it's just nice to have such a variety and you're right we're lucky in chicago to have so yeah, many so cool. many choices well,
9: chicago is, is one of the great theater towns and and uh but for as you as you tour the country in cities not like chicago where the where the primary theatrical venues are the touring venues you, you understand that that people are, uh, are are much more interested in seeing a play than you might think and and you know the musicals are absolutely fantastic but they're not the only fruit you know there's there's other there are other pleasures to be gotten in the theater and it's a question of getting having people get used to it but also, the subject matter of this play, the way that Aaron has dealt with it, and the amount of humor. I bet you were amazed at the amount of humor in the production. Well, you know, was, uh, and I was. i how serious the story is.
1: But I, but I kept saying, "Up uh, oh, there's, there's Aaron Sarkin. There's Aaron Sarkin. Yeah, exactly. He, exactly, he knows exactly. how to balance a story like that.
9: But if ever there was a show, if ever there was a show to take around the country, right now, this this is the one. So I'm again, it's it's been really a privilege to do it. Yeah. And I and and the welcoming here, the welcome in Chicago has been wonderful, I'm grateful for your kind words about
1: it. Well, we're we're grateful that uh, you know you would bring it. So how long are are you on tour with us now? You're, you're taking this to cities <laughs> all we over. We finished.
9: The- We finished, we started, I don't know where we started. We started about, we started in March, first of March. We finished at some point, I think in July of next year. It's a long tour. It's a long road. But we're bringing bringing it all around, and it's very exciting.
1: Very good. Well, uh, we we appreciate that. Uh, We always enjoy your performances wherever they are. Uh, And just uh, one uh, final question. Uh, how is it that you have uh, managed to never strangle somebody who must say, good night, John Boy, that must happen to you every single day of your life, I would think?
9: It it does. And the reason that I have managed not to strangle anyone is that I love that part so much. And I'm so proud of that show, and it brought me so much pleasure and so much success. Uh, and I think it was such a good show that I'm always, especially at my age now, I'm always delighted and happy to be reminded of, of what a good thing that was.
1: I'm so happy to hear that you embrace it like that. So, you know, some people want oh, to leave, yeah. leave their past behind and forget what brought them to the table yeah. in the first place. Uh, but I, That's
9: right. That's right. And I have, I have really nothing but gratitude for
1: that show. Yeah. Oh, it was a fantastic show. I mean, no question about that, but I know just how many times uh, when I've mentioned that Richard Thomas is going to be on the show with us and somebody goes, good night, John boy to me, yeah, of course.
9: Exactly. You're so asleep. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> no, so It'll be on my tombstone, man. <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I hope you enjoy it.
9: Thank you. It was my my pleasure.
1: Thank you very much for joining us. To Kill a Mockingbird is over at the uh, Nederlander Theater on Randolph Street, and it's playing here till May 29th. You can get ticket info at broadwayandchicago.com. Richard, have a great day today. Thank you so much.
9: You too. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: I'm trying to get you guys in the mood for the uh, uh, car broadcasting. The motor casting we'll have on next Sunday morning. Now, what time did, Andy, you mentioned all that during the sports. Yeah. What time is uh, all that going on now? Well, today we have the qualifying continuing. Dane Neal's
2: going to have a special starting at 1 o'clock today, and then the uh, qualifying from Indianapolis at 2. And then next week... Is the running of the Indy 500 on Sunday, and it'll start uh, a little after 10.
1: A little after 10, but Dana's going to have like a, a pre... Yeah,
2: he'll have a pre-show from uh, Indianapolis between, uh, well, actually in in this time frame, from 7 till 10. Right.
1: Which means I won't be here.
2: And you will be missed. At least by me. So so will you guys.
1: <laughs> I'm hoping to be on my second or third <laughs> Bloody Mary Bye. <laughs> By eleven o'clock, I'm hoping that I've eaten so much celery out of my Bloody Marys. <laughs> There's cars going around a track. huh? Oh, yeah. What was that? I hear buzzing in my head. All right. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's going to be so. so Shawnee, you're going to be here delivering the news because that's you, that's your assigned post. Yes, yes, I'll be. The here. news must go on no matter what. I'm
0: I'm, I'm disappointed that you didn't play all of ronnie and the daytonas there little gto i was trying to find some other cars that's the only car song i could think of
1: there's little deuce coupe about cars by gary newman cars by gary newman
0: okay that's two the the little little gto worked (laughs) for me It worked just fine. You can play anything by Yes, I will be here. um, You know what? I'm
1: waiting for someone to text me and go, you know, they don't race those kind of cars at the Indy 500. (laughs) (laughs) Little GTOs wouldn't race in the Indy 500.
2: (laughs) Smart Alec texters. Uh You can also play anything by the cars. (laughs) Oh,
1: see? Yeah. Now you're you're digging deep. Yeah. Pink Cadillac? Oh, pink Cadillac. Well, yeah. Pink Cadillac. Yeah, we need more car songs. Yeah. Need more car songs. Who's zooming who? That would Whoa. be. Oh. That's the perfect song yeah. for the there Indy we 500. There you go. There you go. Because the one and only time that I ever went to the Indy 500 and I, you know, was like in the stands, when these cars go by,
0: you think the building's going to fall down. Yeah. It's the loudest event that you've ever been to. Wait till you walk under the uh, track and with the pedestrian underpass going into the infield. I know. And the cars go above you. Talk about deafening!
1: Yeah, it's it's quite amazing. This is, I recorded this myself out of my car this morning. <laughs> it's just me coming to work this morning.
0: <laughs> so I'm, I'm psyched! I'm ready. Did you ride your lawnmower to work? That sounds like the car on the real McCoys. <laughs>
1: Mom, Walter Brennan cranking Ma, up. Mom, the- what's the real McCoy?
0: <laughs> Uncle Dean, what's the real McCoy's?
1: Uh, <laughs> I'll, anyway, I'll be thinking about you guys while you're busy. Yeah, we'll working. be thinking
0: about you, too. I'll be I'll
1: be sipping a, a <laughs> nice cocktail, I hope. <laughs> Relaxing. Would you like me to call in? I could offer my automobile expertise. That'd be great. Yeah. I think Dane would appreciate I'll that. I'll contact Dane and see yeah. if he would <laughs> like me to. <laughs> need to help out with the broadcast at all. It's 11:11. Uh I wanted to tell you about this amazing production that's going on in Chicago. We've got a lot that's going on on stage in Chicago right now, but when we get Looking Glass Alice to return to Chicago, uh you have got to go and experience this. Talk about a show that's for the whole family. Uh, it is an adaptation of the Alice in Wonderland story, but uh, told in the most imaginative, uh, delightful way. Uh, and joining us on the phone line to talk about it is Looking Glass ensemble member and the artistic producer of new work at Looking Glass, uh, Kareem uh, Bandele. Kareem, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for, for being here.
6: Hi, Dean. Thanks for having me on. So explain,
1: uh, I, I mean, I was I was thinking about how do I describe this, and every time I would try to summarize this into a sentence or two, I would say to myself, well, that's not doing justice to how fantastic this show is. I mean, it's so imaginative and so creative. How do you describe Looking Glass Alice?
6: I think you're right, Dean. There's no stand-in for actually experiencing the thing, but I would say probably it's... Um It's about birth and becoming, transitioning and transformation. It's a 90-minute dream dazzle that sort of reminds us. of Dream dazzle is
1: good. Dream dazzle is good.
6: Yeah, uh, that's what it is, I think. And it reminds us of the importance of (laughs) engaging in some level of nonsense, you know, being sort of being um, making time for play and making time for exploration. And um, you know the 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 adaptation is a it's a mashup of the of Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass and what Alice found there, yeah, and was kind of um, written as a <clears throat> as a as a love letter to um, our adapter director David Kaplan's daughter hmm. Baylor. And um, at the top of the this is why it's so great for families and, and parents will see it from a completely different perspective as uh, children, of course. But like, it, everyone can get into it. It's sort of his reminder to her to like, take it one step at a time. I think, I think um, and not be in a rush to get to the end, you know, enjoy each moment of life. At the top of the play, you hear... Um, you hear voices, children's voices, um, you know, reciting nursery rhymes and whatever. And those children are actually all the Looking Glass children over the years at oh, a certain age. So oh, all nice. the children of our ensemble members and um, my daughter's voice is in there. And um, it's it's really a beautiful um, expression from a father to a daughter.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would say, I mean, one of the things that I I haven't seen this production, but I've seen Looking Glass Alice when it played in Chicago before Is uh, that I felt like um, don't don't ever stop being a kid, don't don't ever stop the whimsy and wonder, Uh, you know don't let life get too serious on you that you forget to have imagination and creativity. Uh, What what a gift to give to children, but you know these days, man, do adults need that as a reminder as well?
6: No, absolutely, I agree. It's easy to get locked into um, you know the 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 see the serious nature of um, responsibility and i'm not saying one should be shirking that but um you know in in my own in my own life and in my own parenting i find that when i when when i relax and take time to play with them um the stuff gets done the stuff gets done it's not exact but it gets done and it gets done in the most delightful ways mm-hmm. and um you know, the time we spend is actually um, more pleasurable. The time we spend is actually more meaningful to them than, yeah. um, you know, moving from A to B to C, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we haven't even mentioned that uh, when you go to see this uh, production, you're really sort of also going to see uh, a circus-like performance as well. Uh, that is visually dazzling uh, for, uh, you know, kids of all ages to come and see.
6: Yeah, Looking Glass has always been um, rather an exploratory company, um, uh, steeped in in a physical, visceral kind of aesthetic, and I think nobody exemplifies that um, more um, potently than than David Catlin and his. Um, his oft, uh, uh, oft, uh, uh, I guess, uh, frequent collaborator Sylvia Hernandez de Stasi, who runs the Actors Gym up in um, Evanston, um, there's a um, there's there's a way in which uh, the circus, uh, circus acts, are used as metaphor, much in the way that Cir- Cirque du Soleil does does their stuff. You know, where mm-hmm. it's not. Merely, although actually watching people dangling from twenty, thirty feet up, walking on stilts on a rolling globe, falling off a ladder—you know—using uh, body weight to make to make um, you know a, a caterpillar out of three individuals is is in itself dazzling. But there's always there's always a component of um, what is happening in the story, and I think that when when Katlin and Sylvia come up with an idea, um, uh, a sort of circus idea to express a moment, they are thinking, okay, this is the inner life of the character. The character feels like they're falling. So we, we should find some way to express that that is that is visceral, visual, and nonverbal. And it, it turns out to be incredibly effective, actually. Uh,
1: uh, somebody on our text line right now just uh, wrote in, saying, we're going to see Alice today. I'm bringing my two-and-a-half-year-old grandniece because wow. I, I know it will hold her attention. I and mean, that's the thing about the show, that it's wow. perfect for kids because there's stimulation going on everywhere. But oh, a two-and-a-half-year-old can enjoy it as much as uh, you know a grandparent can jo- enjoy it.
6: There is something coming at you every moment, and that 's the thing is like for, for the most jaded audience members to watch to watch them go "Wow yeah, yeah. is kind of a treat
1: yeah, um, I, I can imagine as uh, actors and producers you are getting yeah. you are definitely getting a visceral reaction from the audience Looking Glass Absolutely. Alice is uh, playing through july thirty first and you can get tickets at Looking Glass Theater. Uh, dot org theater spelled with an r e looking theater dot org and uh, you do have to show proof of vaccination uh, upon entry so just be aware of that uh, before you go there um, i i can't wait to see it again Karima. it's really nice to talk to you thank you for bringing the show back to town again
6: thanks dean of course it's a pleasure to do it. we'll see you at the show I'll
1: see you then it's kareem Bandele who's uh with the uh, looking glass alice oh, Wow, this uh dr justin Levisay, who you just heard in that north shore commercial uh did a heart valve replacement on my mother uh i want to say i don't know seven eight years ago my mother was 94 and she had heart valve replacement surgery and Dr. Levesay is like your your mom is a candidate for this and walked us through it and it turned out amazing and he was great and North Shore was great so nice to hear Dr. Levesay on uh, the commercials that are running here on WGN 1124 Dean Richard Sunday morning uh, still to come for you to this morning Uh, You know her from My Greek Table on PBS. Diane Coachellis uh, is the uh, author of 18 Greek and Mediterranean cookbooks. I had the honor of cooking with her on WGN-TV morning news the other day. She'll join us coming up after 12 o'clock this morning. Also the cast of Downton Abbey uh, talking about their brand new movie. Uh, But I know what a lot of you are going to be doing today, uh, this weekend, next weekend, getting out in that garden, getting things ready for a summer that is right around the corner. And I wanted to get an expert on the show today to help answer some of your questions and to prepare you for what we should be doing now. Uh, and that's why we invited Lisa Hilgenberg, horticulturist with the Chicago Botanic Garden, to be on the show with us today. Lisa, welcome to WG. good morning. Nice to have yeah. you. Nice to have you with us. So
5: thank you so much for the invitation. I'm glad to be here. It's finally uh, a nice spring day.
1: It's a little nicer than it was yesterday at this time. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I guess my you know the big question. I'm, I'm going to open up the phone lines uh, for people to call in. If they have questions about you know what to do in the garden, three, one two nine eight one seven, two hundred, and we'll get to your calls in a minute. But let me just start off with this basic question. I see all the stores have their their uh, their you know their planting needs are are out, the flowers, the vegetables, the fruits, uh everything's out there right now. People are scooping them up and putting them in the ground. I worry that it's a little too early. What do you think?
5: Well, you're right. I mean, plants have varying tolerances to weather, and I've become a a nighttime temperature watcher. And so when nighttime temperatures sort of moderate at 50 degrees and above, it's safe to plant warm season crops. And so I'm a vegetable gardener, and and so I'm worried about those um, tomatoes going in too early before, you know, the end of the month, and uh, it's not quite time for some of that to happen. So um, we have a whole slate of cool season crops growing very well now, but be careful about what you're planting. As far as, like, trees and shrubs, though, what a great time. 50 is nifty. That's sort of a saying when it comes to planting trees and shrubs. So it's great for certain plants, but not for others.
1: Yeah. So, uh, for example, what, what is safe to put in the ground right now?
5: Uh, well, as far as vegetables go, um, I would say you could plant carrots and Swiss chard and beets and some of the crops that can take those dips below, uh, 50 degrees. I think it's going to be 42 tonight, um, in Glencoe. So, um, it's, It's still really uh, cold. And I think some of the warm season um, tropical plants, um, caladiums and uh, arums and some of the um, begonias, beautiful impatiens and begonias for bedding out in your garden. It's too early for those plants to go in the, in the ground. Um, So be careful about what you're planting. There are ways to protect plants um, from cold nighttime temperatures, but, um, and you know, one, one, thing that the botanic garden is um uh an example of is just what you should have in your garden at this time so we're hoping that um all your listeners are going to stop by uh chicago botanic garden and have a look at what we have in the yes. ground
1: yes well and also you have this uh, special thing going on called flourish the garden at 50 the chicago botanic garden is celebrating its 50th anniversary. Which is that's right. that, that, that's something. So what what kind of big doings are going on out there? For four? Yeah,
5: it's a very exciting time for us, and it's a joyous celebration. I mean, if you consider that the garden opened its doors in 1972 with one small greenhouse and um, one little garden area open to the public, now it's this big, multifaceted organization, and we have 28 gardens and four natural areas um, there's a plant science center and a learning campus in Glencoe. And we've spread out to 16 community gardens and farm sites around Chicago and Lake County. Um, and so we've experienced this in- extraordinary growth over the last five decades. And now we're marking this really um, important 50th birthday celebration with Flourish, the Garden at 50. And it's just a series of garden-wide events and pop-up um events, nature-inspired art, interactive stories, and and it's all about connecting people to the natural world, as we've done for the last five decades.
1: Yeah, the Botanic Garden's always been one of my favorite places, uh, just to stroll and get ideas and and so forth. But with this 50th year uh, celebration, even more so to uh, come and explore the expertise that all of you uh, put together out there for our enjoyment.
5: Well... That's, that's, um, that's true. And I think, um, you know, this is even beyond we've um, engaged a series of 10 artists from around the world, local, um, international and, and national as well, who have installed these magnificent, um, you know, sort of, uh, there's an interaction between nature and art and human creativity that's happening at the Botanic Garden. And you can see these from the visitor center all the way throughout our our, uh, property there in Glencoe. Um, Patrick Doherty, who's a, world-renowned sculptor, sculpts out of willow branches. And he has installed something called the Rookery, which is um, on the way down to the prairie, the Dixon Prairie, at Chicago Botanic Garden. And there's um, a beautiful herbarium um, installed in the Visitor Center that is copper wire with hanging dried um, seed heads and flowers of plants (laughs) that were grown at the Botanic Garden. So Mm -hmm. a lot of it is sustainable and it's um, interactive and it's just a a whole lot of fun. Um, People of all ages will enjoy it. It goes on through September 25th. And um, there are some, uh, you know, these outdoor installations, but there are also some installations at our Windy City Harvest Farm on Ogden in Chicago. And um, there are some installations in our greenhouse galleries in Glencoe. And then there's this pop-up event um, series going on the second and fourth weekend of every month. And um, that's a lot of fun. So lots of surprise events. Okay. Well, Um, well, and then of course we're
1: go uh, ahead. I was going to say we can talk more about it in just a minute. We'll, We'll we'll explain more. Tell you how to get more information. And I want to get to uh, these phone calls and texts that are coming in for you, people getting ready to plant, and they've got questions for our guest horticulturist Lisa Hilgenberg from Chicago Botanic Garden. We'll continue in just a minute. I hope at some point during the time trials they play this song. And I hope speed does well in the time trials today that you'll hear on WGN. Lisa Hilkenberg is on with us, horticulturist, Chicago Botanic Garden, answering your questions about planting. Going to give us more info on Flourish the Garden at 50, uh, the Botanic Garden celebrating its 50th anniversary. Lisa, are you ready to answer some questions? Yes, bring it on. Okay, we've got texters saying, uh, I have always grown my tomatoes in a certain patch of my yard, and uh, it's always yielded great fruit. For the last two years, practically nothing has come up. What's gone wrong?
5: Well, it's important to rotate crops around your garden, especially if you've had a troubled year. So um, many of the tomato diseases are soil-borne, and it's important to rotate tomatoes. And crop rotation means that we don't repeat those plant families in a certain area in four years. So that is what a farmer would use. Um, We can do that in our home gardens as well. So if you're growing and you have a problem, rotate your tomatoes to another area. Okay. be careful not to plant too early. It's still too early for tomatoes.
1: Right. Yeah. As as you uh, said, should uh, the soil be treated? Is there, you know, so, something you should do to the soil in addition to rotating your crops?
5: You know, uh, I think one thought on um, mitigating a soil problem, if you have wilt bacterial problems, um, is to grow a cover crop or. Um, uh, an allium like an onion crop a um, carrot crop would be a wonderful crop to grow in those areas that you've had problems Um, another idea would be to make sure that you're adding lots of organic matter and working that matter in um, with a pitchfork aerating the soil lifting and adding air um, and not using a lot of chemicals we're gardening organically at yeah. the Chicago Botanic Garden, fruit yeah. and vegetable garden. Right. And we use uh, mechanical methods to, um, you know, we're not we're not using any synthetic uh, sprays or fertilizers um, in the fruit and veg. So it's important for home gardeners to just keep in mind that whatever they do use in the soil is going to end up in the food that they're going to eat. So um, that's right. a nice yeah.
1: So, uh so organic uh additives to the uh, soil, but also uh you know things that you know maybe in your kitchen that you 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 get you know get them ready and and bury them in the the soil so they can decompose and, and give back to the soil.
5: Maybe um a composting area um would be a nice way to incorporate kitchen scraps from yeah. um you know things that you've used, the strawberry hulls and the and the citrus peels and and cores and things can be composted in a pile, um, either a bin or a pile. In an alley, um, and compost is a great additive to vegetable gardens. Okay, um, that's the first way to increase the fertility in your vegetable garden is to um, add compost.
1: All right, very good. This is Nina. You're on WGN three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. By the way, with Lisa Hilgenberg from the Botanic Garden. Hi, uh, Nina.
11: Hi, Dean. Thanks a lot, and hi, Lisa. First of all, Uh, I would like to congratulate everyone uh, at WGN for a great programming and great hosts. And I have been a regular listener since 1980. Thank you. And great job, you guys. Uh, My question is uh, to Ms. Lisa. I have a pop-up plant. I have two, matter of fact, one in front and one in the backyard, and um, the blooms are beautiful the flowers bloom beautifully during spring those are little purple little flowers before the leaves come in and but unfortunately there's no yield of any fruit i understand um sometimes because of the wind and because of the birds eating them up um there are fewer uh flowers left but there have been no uh fruit at all what, since about almost what, four years
1: yeah what kind of plant did you say this was
11: Pawpaw. Paw P-A-W, P-A-W? P-A-W.
1: Pawpaw. A paw. Pawpaw plant. What do you think, yeah. Lisa?
5: Well, I know that the pawpaw asimina as uh, triloba is a native plant. Um, that's a, uh, it's a pawpaw tree. Um, I suppose there are shrub forms as well. Um, they are pollinated by flies, and so they need to be, have that cross-pollination between flowers. So you might Mm -hmm. try to help the plant along when you see those flowers in the spring. Try to take Mm -hmm. pollen and move it um, flower to flower. um, I see. Also between pawpaws. So if you have a second pawpaw somewhere in, you said you Mm -hmm. had one in the back of your garden. Yes. Move it from plant or tree to tree. That's a beautiful fruit that looks sort of like a half a banana, and it tastes like a strawberry banana. Mm. Um, We have several different cultivars at the Chicago Botanic Garden, and I invite you to come and take a look at those. Um, That's it's an excuse me.
1: Yeah, no, she was just saying that she she is going to come and look at them. Yes, great. All right. Mm -hmm. Uh, so,
11: Miss Lisa, is there any, uh, you're right, it is not a uh, plant, it's a tree. It's around about, um, I should say, about uh, seven, eight feet now. And the leaves are beautiful. The It is such a beautiful uh, plant. Everyone uh, comments on that. Com- they compliment it. The leaves are beautiful uh, during the whole spring to f- fall. Um, but um, do I have to fertilize them or?
5: I would say no. I would say it would benefit from a layer of mulch under the drip line. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would just not fertilize. Um, You could certainly prune it so it's sort of an open center plant. Uh, But it Uh has that beautiful tropical leaf that dangles Mm and um, Mm -hmm. moves in the wind. It's a beautiful plant. I would agree with you there. Good luck with your pawpaw.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. I'd never even heard of that. So interesting. Appreciate your call. A texter from the 217 area code in central Illinois says, I want to plant a colored cauliflower. I've seen that in the store where it's like purple and yellow. Uh, Is that a, a certain hybrid of seed? Uh, Lisa, that uh, you would start with?
5: Well, that's a great question. Cauliflower is, um, there are some hybrid cauliflowers that are purple. Um, There's one that's called Veronica, which is a beautiful um, uh, sort of cone-shaped head of cauliflower. Uh, My tip for cauliflower growing is to start it in your your basement under lights um, about the 30th of June, and oh. plant it out in the garden as a four to six week old small start, hmm. a little small vegetable start in about July 15th and then or to the end of the month and then harvest it in the fall. Cauliflower does much better um, from midsummer maturing into the cool of the fall rather than planting it now and having it mature in August.
1: Okay, all right. Wow, that's uh, that's late, it, it seems to me, but I guess uh, it makes sense. 847 area code said they heard us talking about tomatoes. So when is it safe to plant tomatoes in our area?
5: I think the, the best way to make that uh, determination is to watch the nighttime temperatures, really become a weather watcher. And once we have a stable 55-degree nighttime temperature, Um, that's the time to plant tomatoes because I need to make sure, you know, the 50 varieties of tomatoes, um, are beautiful in the display garden. Um, I wait until June 7th through 10th, something like that to plant tomatoes. Um, if you can protect them and pull the pot into your garage at night, sure. Go ahead now. But, uh, Otherwise, I would wait. If you're going to plant them in the ground, wait until it's about 50 degrees. And I invite you to come to Chicago Botanic Garden. We have, of course, we're planting gold and yellow tomatoes this summer um, because of Flourish, um, the garden at 50. And we have maybe 2,000 varieties of yellow tomatoes. That'll be grown. Well,
1: that'd be fantastic to see. We'll talk more with Lisa Hilgenberg, horticulturist at the Fruit and Vegetable Garden Center at the Chicago Botanic Garden right after this. If you want to ask a question, 312-981-7200. <laughs> Uh, Dean Richards, Sunday morning, 1152, my Greek table host, Diane Kochilas. She's written 18 cookbooks on Greek and Mediterranean cooking, is a favorite on PBS, uh, was uh, in Chicago, uh, joined me on our WGN TV news this past Friday. We cooked together and uh, she'll be joining us coming up at, at about 1230 th- uh, this afternoon. Hope you'll stick around for that. Uh, Right now, though, talking with Lisa Hilgenberg, a horticulturist at the Chicago Botanic Garden, celebrating its 50th birthday with Flourish, the garden at 50. So many celebrations, special uh, displays and things going on, celebrating their 50 years now going on through September the 25th. And Lisa, more questions uh, for you. Uh, Someone following up on what you were just telling us a moment ago about the cauliflower about starting it, uh, you know, a little late and not bringing it outside till then. But someone asking, does your cauliflower rule apply to other cruciferous vegetables at all? The broccolis, the, uh, Brussels sprouts, uh, what, what else would be considered, uh, cruciferous? Cabbage, right? Kale, things like that?
5: Yes, it does. That's very astute. So I would say broccoli, certainly. Um, I would treat broccoli and cauliflower the same way. I like the robs for spring growing. I think the broccoli robs do very well with that short season of cool weather, but we, you know, we, our temperatures increase so quickly, you know, it's been Uh, 90 degrees already, and that sort of ruins your broccoli crop if it's growing in the spring. Mm -hmm. So um, I I like that July 15th date for cauliflowers and for uh, broccoli. Brussels sprouts, on the other hand, have a very long growing season. They need 110 days, some of them. So we start Brussels sprouts in the garden June 1st, and I think the tip for um, brassica uh, crops is to make sure that they're actively growing. Take them from the plastic flat um, and put them right in the garden and keep them growing actively with lots of water. And then at the opportune times when cabbage is heading or when the cauliflower um, is getting ready to form its head, it's very important to to keep them fertilized and watered. And by fertilized, I mean just a shovel full of compost underneath the plants or along the row would Mm. be perfect. Cabbage, on the other hand, I would say there are lots of different varieties of cabbage. So if you look in the seed catalog, you'll see early maturing varieties, um, the mid-season cabbages, and then the storage cabbages. Um, the longer season cabbage. So choose the timing um, according to that. We grow those early small cabbages in the spring and then the main crop um, throughout the summer. Uh, so those very tightly headed sauerkraut making cabbages can grow all summer. Okay. Um, vegetable gardening is all about timing.
1: Yeah, clearly. Uh, Having some knowledge about that, which people can learn at the Botanic Garden, uh, is crucial. This is Pam at 312-981-7200. You are on with Lisa Hilgenberg from the Botanic Garden. Pam?
6: Hi. Um, Yes, I bought a white flowering hydrangea plant at a um, garden club sale. Um, you know the the garden clubs at the end of the year or whatever at the beginning of the year or something they dig up their stuff and they you know do plant sales um, and so I bought this plant like five years ago and it gets big leaves on it and it's never flowered I've never had any it's never bloomed hmm. um, so and and then after that after I bought it I read somewhere that um. um Hydrangeas. certain hydrangeas need to be pruned in the spring and certain ones need to be pruned in the fall. And our landscaper, I know he, after I planted it in the spring, he did prune it in the fall. And I don't know if that's the reason why or even what I read was true. You know, I don't know. It just never flowered.
5: Okay. Well, Pam, I think um, it's probably hydrangea arborescence, which is... Um, uh, the Annabelle type of hydrangea. There are four different categories of hydrangea, all needing a little bit different treatment. Um, and if it blooms, it doesn't bloom at all. It's likely it doesn't have enough sun. That could certainly be one um, one problem. But Annabelles are pruned um, hard in the spring. So they bloom on new wood that's produced this summer So we pruned ours in about March, and we took them down to about 12 to 18 inches, just above a vigorous um, bud. And so you can see where that new growth is going to push out as soon as the spring um, weather gets warm enough. So it's likely it's been pruned at the wrong time. I would say... um, you know, choose the right kind of hydrangea. There are um, the panicle hydrangeas. There are the um, uh, macrophylla hydrangeas, which are the beautiful blue and pink hydrangeas. And try another hydrangea. Um, I think it's nice to have have a multitude in your garden. And if you have space, hydrangea is a great plant. Um, the oak leaf hydrangea has beautiful fall color. So um, there are lots of opportunities to have mini yeah. mini hydrangea blooms
1: some some beautiful um, I
5: guess
1: yeah yeah beautiful color there you can get uh, more info on uh, all of this plus uh, flourish the garden at fifty when you go to chicagobotanic.org. dot org Lisa Helgenberg a horticulturist very nice to talk to you today thank you so much for joining us
11: Thank you Dean.
1: Usual when we uh, have a horticulturist on the show, the phone lines go nuts. Uh, people wanting to get their questions, and we only had a you know limited amount of time. But check out the Chicago Botanic Garden if you want to get more information. Uh, their staff are fantastic at uh, answering questions. And we'll try to do that a little bit more uh, this summer uh we We try to uh you know have experts on to answer questions and get all your gardening stuff uh straightened
0: on. Have we ever talked about this with you? Do you have a green thumb no. I do, I don't. I do plant things cuz I do have a nice patio outside and try to put some greenery out there, but uh What have you planted out there? Just basic petunias or uh flowers. Flowers, yeah. Flowers. Uh yeah, I I have not tried, you know, tomatoes or beans or anything like yeah. that, but you would know, you just, like,
1: would you like to have that out there? If I had
0: it? more room, I would. I would be nice to do. I did tomatoes in pots for the first time. You did? Yeah. I just wanted to try it and see. One thing I did grow was uh, basil, fresh basil. Oh, it's fantastic. Wow, what no- a difference. Nothing better. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Nothing better. My, the, my favorite thing to do in the summertime is to go outside and pick a couple of tomatoes, pick a cucumber, pick a green pepper. You know, like, and I make a little sal- salad of stuff that I picked out of the yard. The flavor. isn't that something thousand times better (laughs) yes it is i don't know what they're doing to the stuff in the store but (laughs) i'm sure they you know they they must uh, i don't know i mean it's i i guess you know the way i'm doing it is more organic also so it's probably a lot more natural and all that but
0: well you don't have the shipping you know you you don't really know how long that produce that has been in the store sitting there.
1: around but you know sometimes you get tomatoes and there's oh yeah no taste whatsoever no. no but you you go out into your garden and you pick a nice uh you know tomato and make a salad or i always put like one plant of cherry tomatoes oh yes because i love cherry tomatoes. i love those too I, and you know i'll just be in the backyard and pick a couple you can just of, eat off them and eat them right yeah uh, they're de- they're delicious but uh, uh they they did great in the pot i i was very happy with uh,
0: all of that so i uh, i recommend that to you talk about a taste difference i'll always remember the first time my friend in the uh, new buffalo michigan area uh he and I went out blueberry picking. Oh yeah. And I had never done it until several years ago. <laughs> Talk about a taste difference big, between big what we picked there right. and then he took me to a farm where we bought peaches that had been picked that oh. morning. Fresh picked peaches out of this world. Fresh picked peaches out of this world. Cannot
1: beat it. Mm. Just for, you know, like a delicious snack or I made uh I made a a cobbler. Peach yeah, cobbler. peach cobbler. A couple yes. of years ago, that was delicious. Uh, I've I've become a fan of all that. Like the fresh picked, the stone fruits in the summertime. Mm-hmm. You can't plums,
0: peaches. Yeah, yeah,
1: yep. yeah. That's nice. But I like a, a nice uh, farmer's market to let somebody else do the actual. picking <laughs> Let somebody else do the actual work.
0: Good to see those back. Remember, twenty twenty, we didn't have them right. because of the height of COVID. Right. And uh it was good to see those come back.
1: My only problem with the farmers market is I wind up—I uh, get so excited about everything I see, I wind up buying too much stuff.
0: Yeah, and then it goes to waste. Yeah, that's right? like well, uh, it's very tempting I, to get. What am I going to do with fifteen pounds of peaches now? <laughs> <laughs> Why did I go crazy with that? I well, it'll be later in the year, but uh, for me, I'll always find a good farmers market to get Honeycrisp apples. Oh yeah uh toward oh, yeah. september
1: you know this uh the what do they call it the green city market
0: yes they have in
1: lincoln park yes. every saturday morning right. uh it's one of the better farmers markets They we have we're lucky we have very nice farmers markets around the chicago area and the farmers come in from michigan wisconsin indiana the, you know the surrounding areas and they bring fresh picked stuff uh, but this Green City Market has such a variety of high quality stuff. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. You'll find me there often on a on a Saturday morning.
0: And do other people stay around once you're there? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I mean you do find, I, you do find you find make there. People leave? Right. Hi, I'm Dean Richards. Do I make people oh. leave? You mean? <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm out there. And uh, you did get, you see him over there? You get a nice, you can get a
0: nice, fresh-baked muffin and some coffee, mm. and you stroll around. And I'll bet they have apple cider in the fall. They have apple wow. cider in the fall. Of course they do. Delicious. Yeah, Delicious. better than that. Here's our new segment for the show now, the Green Thumb.
1: Well, I I would love that. <laughs> I would love nothing more than that, because I do enjoy that uh, almost as much as I love uh, being on the grill. I'm, I'm looking forward to... Uh, uh, a nice grilling season this year. Uh, in, in fact, what we're going to do in a, in a few minutes, we're going to talk with uh, the uh, Greek, uh, my Greek table host, Diane Coachellis. She's one of uh, PBS's most popular uh, TV chefs. You know, she does a show about Greek cooking. She was in town for the National Restaurant Show, came over and cooked with me at uh, on the WGN TV Morning News. Uh, you can see that on the uh, wgntv. dot com slash Dean Cooks. You can uh, watch that episode if you want to. And I made uh, Greek paella for her. The recipe is there. I think it turned out pretty delicious. The food went like crazy. Everybody loved
0: it. You said she liked it. She enjoyed it. Yeah. She said she was going to steal my recipe. So, uh, I'm if you pl- see that in the in the next book, in the nineteenth yeah. book that she writes, yeah. I'm going to sue her. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame we had a nice friendship
1: but, you know business is business you got to do what you got to do <laughs> sorry but uh <coughs> excuse me i'm looking forward to um i'm you know just doing some straight out grilling so we're going to uh share the interview with diane cochillis coming up in a few minutes and then i want to i want to open up the phone line uh and and just get some good ideas for grilling for the Memorial Day weekend next weekend. Uh you know, I I do the same stuff uh, all the time. But uh Jack, our new producer uh, Jack, uh I'm going to leave this up to you to find on our phone lines a fantastic recipe that uh, we can do that we can all do on our grills for the Memorial Day weekend. Does that sound uh, uh good to you? Does that sound you're gonna, you know, go through the phone lines, scour the phone lines, uh, find a good recipe, and we'll feature that recipe. We'll we'll put the person on the air to give us the recipe, and the, this person, whoever gives us the best recipe, will get a $100 gift card from the Barbecue Authority in Lyle. How does that sound? Does that sound good to you, Jack? Sounds good.
0: Okay. You like to do fish on the grill, don't you? I do. Yeah, yeah I do. Good salmon or uh, uh, just did my famous uh, rainbow trout,
1: my, my famous uh, honey mustard salmon. I oh, did, that's right. The honey, honey mustard salmon. I make that all the time. Do you? It's a, it's a major home run. Mm-hmm. It's delicious. I had some guests over. I, uh, I, I made it, uh, I, 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 grilled up some corn, did some, my first corn on the cob of the season. Uh, you know, that was good. Uh, but you know, there's, there's lots of good things to, to do. What's your favorite thing on the grill,
0: there, Jack? Mom, oh, Jack? Yeah. What is What's your Jack favorite thing? favorite thing? We know so little about Jack.
1: <laughs> He's such a man of mystery. I like uh, it like that. Mr. No, Andrew I'm just stuff. kidding. Uh, I mean, I just like burgers, really. Okay. I'm simple. All right. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with liking a good burger. But you're going to be the one, so you though are going to have to decide which is the best recipe that will win this gift card. I'm ready. All right. I like to eat, so All right. I'm ready. All right. We'll get to that coming up in a few minutes here. And when we come back from the break, uh, talk with some of the cast members of this new Downton Abbey movie that is uh, out in theaters right now. Such a charming, lovely movie. Uh, we'll talk with some of the actors when we come right back. W-G. Right now, though, I wanted to share with you something special. Some of my interviews that I did with the cast of the new Downton Abbey movie, Downton Abbey, A New Era. Uh, If you love the television series, if you love the movie that they put out in uh, 2019, uh, you're very definitely going to love this new installment that they put out. The original cast is back. A lot of new players and new plot lines and storylines are uh, all back in this brand new movie that is just... It's just a lovely movie. Uh, it is uh, full of civility and warmth and charm uh, and humor. Uh, there are some very touching uh, moments uh, in this film. Uh, and it is also one that even if you didn't watch Downton Abbey, the TV show, or the previous movie, you can you know just go into this and completely understand what's going on. It's still very, very enjoyable. Wound up giving it a Dean's List B+, uh, which is, uh, you know, a very good grade for a movie. So, uh, if you're so inclined, I hope you will enjoy it. Two of the stars talked with me about the making of this movie, Elizabeth, uh, McGovern and Hugh Bonneville, uh, telling me about the, uh, you know, what they think is behind the longevity of Downton Abbey, a new era.
10: Well, I think that everything hangs on the script that you're working with. Um, and I was so excited to read this one because I really felt that Julian had, he was on to something. He, uh, he was channeling something that um, managed to preserve everything that audiences have grown to love about the characters and the story and give it something special. There's a free song at play. And, and I really felt it when I saw the movie, it was as though the whole thing, it was reoxygenated and funny and sad again. And that is one of the hardest things to do um, to, to uh, keep something going for as long as, as he has. And, and, and when you've got that writing, it's easy for the actors because the writing does it for you. And um, I think, I think people, forget how much it is to do with, with the writing. Um, you, you you can't make up for something that isn't there in the writing as an yeah, actor.
1: That's on the page. Hugh, how about for you? What what are the challenges of keeping your role fresh and vital?
12: Oh, I think they're the, the, the not so much challenges as opportunities. And uh, uh, the, the fact that we are revisiting these characters after first creating them 12 years ago, um it's all great credit as elizabeth says it's really down to julian fellows uh energy and imagination and to keep coming up with stories that engage that engage us as actors to want to play them uh, and then ultimately for audiences to want to to re-engage with them as well and by coming to the movie house um in this iteration we've we, you know it's, it's been great for both cora and robert to um not only travel <laughs> to a different country but to Travel further in terms of uh, investigating their characters for different reasons, without spoiling it, um, and uh, they they learn more about themselves as they as they go on these these emotional journeys. So there's no doubt that you know for us personally, you know, for me personally, I- in this particular. Uh, iteration of the story. It's been, it was, it was really, it was fun and it was a challenge in its own way, but, um, but it was just great to know that Julian was, you know, still able to create stories that, that our audience will engage with. And I, I think that's uh, certainly been true in Europe where the film's already opened and um, fingers crossed it will do the same here.
1: Uh, Elizabeth, what do you think uh, is the success of the, the secret behind the success of Downton Abbey, the, the franchise? What, what is it that powers this so effectively.
10: If I really knew, I would be the richest person in the world. <laughs> um, I My guess is as good as the next guy's, honestly. Um, I, I, I think it's something about the fact that it's comforting and entertaining at the same time. And you somehow, at least toward the beginning, you could watch it and feel... Not guilty because there was a little bit of history that you were feeling like you were getting as well. So all those things combined, I think. I think the fact that there's so many characters means that there's somebody for everybody. Um, There's uh, that people from all walks of life can find somebody to relate to. All ages, Um, you know, a whole bunch of different factors. I mean, now people are, are coming to it because. They're nostalgic for the way the world was when they first started watching the show. Yeah,
1: that's that's probably probably very true. Hugh, how how do you describe uh, the Maggie Smith experience? Is it as much fun as it is for us watching on our end?
12: Um, it, well, it's fun in, insofar as it's terrifying. Uh, I can remember feeling scared on the first day of filming with her and I was scared on the last day of filming with her. Um, it's, uh, but uh, because, simply because her standards is, you know, it's impossible to match. She will do something, you know, within a line, within a take, within a, you know, within a thought that uh, surprises you and just makes the, the line that Julian has created even more delicious. Uh, she's a remarkable actress, formidable uh you know of her generation and that we've spent again it's a sort of a the whole thing has been a pinch me moment it's been been a pinch me 12 years i suppose on and off um but to work with someone of her caliber um you you know who's already you know who's won two oscars and has had the career that she's had both on stage and screen and for her to play my mum and to be part of our ensemble uh i never thought she'd I can remember when I first got offered the script, I said, "Who who's going to play Violet? And they said, well, we're, we're hoping to get Maggie Smith. And I said, well, dream on, mate. That's not going to happen. And uh, she stuck with us. Um, so to be part of, uh, to be, to be, have uh, in her orbit for this long and to watch someone as smart as she is at work has been a real education as much as a pleasure. Yeah,
1: Maggie Smith is just delightful in this movie. As she was, uh, you know, throughout the uh, six seasons of the television show and the 2019 movie, Uh, in my opinion, every time she is on the screen, she steals the scene, whatever it is. It it is such a wonderful character, and she's such a wonderful uh, actress. Highly recommending this to you. Downton Abbey, A New Era, uh, Dean's List B+, and it is in theaters... Right now, it looks like it's going to wind up being the number two movie of the weekend. Uh, Doctor Strange looks like it's headed to be the uh, number one movie for the holiday weekend. It doesn't really matter because next weekend, the new Top Gun movie comes out. The Tom Cruise uh, sequel to his movie uh, Top Gun. This one called Top Gun Maverick, which is spectacular, by the way. I've already seen it and uh it's so much fun i mean it's it it is it's got summer movie written all over it i think you're going to really enjoy it i'll tell you much more about it during this coming week and we'll share interviews uh with the cast but top gun is uh you know go- going to be the number 1 movie for several weeks to come all right so the phone lines are uh, open for you right now at 312-981-7200 uh, taking your phone calls for the best thing that you do on the grill. What's the very best thing that you do on the grill? Uh, producer Jack is going to uh, listen to your recipes. He's going to pick what he thinks is the very best one, and that person will get a $100 gift card from the Barbecue Authority in Lyle. Uh, we'll share that on the air as we get closer to the holiday weekend. And when we come back from updating the news, the PBS TV chef, Diane Cochillis from My Greek Table, joining us. 1237, Dean Richards, Sunday morning on WGM. I've been very lucky on this food show. I've been able to talk with some of my favorite TV chefs through the years, most notably the great Julia Child, uh, but also uh, Lydia Bastianich, one of my favorites, the great Rick Bayless. Here in Chicago, the list goes uh, on and on. Joanne Weir. And this past Friday, I had the opportunity to talk with uh, one of my favorites, who I watch every Saturday on, on WTTW, Lydia Bas- uh, not Lydia Bastiani, <laughs> but Diane kuchilis who hosts the show My Greek Table. She takes you all over Greece and prepares the foods of the different regions of Greece. Diane has written 18 cookbooks on Greek and Mediterranean cooking, we had her on WGN-TV Morning News this past Friday. And she cooked a gyros bolognese, which was delicious, by the way. And I made a Greek paella, uh, kind of a you know Greek-style and f- flavored paella using gyros. One of her sponsors is Grecian Delight Kronos Gyros. So we were trying to incorporate her sponsor's uh, product into the whole thing. She was at the National Restaurant Show. Uh, And uh, we had a great time cooking. You can see those recipes. You can see us both cooking by going to the TV website, wgntv.com slash deancooks. Uh, So all of that is there for you. But uh, after all the cooking was done, we had an opportunity to sit down and just chat. And I had the opportunity to welcome Diane Kochilas. Thank
8: you. <laughs> it's,
1: it's an honor to to have you here. You're part of my Saturday ritual of watching the cooking shows. Uh, you and Lydia Bastianich are my, t- my, my uh, companions.
8: Well, just to be mentioned the same breath as Lydia is an honor too.
1: Well, so. <laughs> you, uh, you've written 18 uh, cookbooks on Greek and Mediterranean cooking, your show, My Greek Table. On PBS, uh, are, are staples now. How did you even get started
0: with all of this?
8: I'm Greek. We cook. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, we, we're born with like a spoon in our hands. <laughs> um, how did I get started? I studied journalism. I had studied something completely ir- you know, irrelevant to what I'm doing. Well, actually not, because I use my journalistic sure. skills to research. Of course. But my dad was a cook uh greek immigrant. um that's kind of we always had food in the family my mother uh, was half italian was 90 pounds her whole life lived on entenmann's crumb cake and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches Ooh, sounds good Lived <laughs> to be 95 <laughs> See? um but was not a great cook she made a few good Italian dishes, but generally speaking, she wasn't into food. My dad, on the other hand, was a big, garrulous guy who you know, loved to have people over and we, you know, dinner. I don't know if it was like this when you were growing up, but we had dinner together every night. Mm-hmm. You know, Six o'clock, yep. we had to be at the dinner table. We, were, we could be out riding our bikes all over the neighborhood. Six o'clock, we had to be home for dinner. Yep. And dinner was cooked, you know, it wasn't out of a box, it was real food. And anyway, I, so I grew up in that kind of environment. And when I got older, um, I was the Watergate generation, so, you know, I wanted to be an investigative journalist. And then, I, then my Greek parents, when I suggested I would cross the country and end up in some small town as a newspaper reporter, they said, no. <laughs> yep.
1: Not crazy about that idea. No, yep. you're not
8: doing that. Um, but I ended up uh, actually going to Greece at some point. But I did work as a journalist in New York for a while, an editorial. And then I got kind of this fate-driven, you know, driven, lucky break. I was uh, working at a cultural magazine actually for doctors and editing their food column. And the food writer at the time was pretty well known, a guy named John Mariani. And... Uh, He was a big restaurant critic. I was in my early 20s. And he introduced, and I, one day over, you know, it was the era of, like, three martini lunches and... Caviar, you know, lunches or whatever. Remember those good old days? I sort
1: of remember those. (laughs) You remember
8: that? We can still remember it
1: vaguely. If I can remember it, I wasn't doing it right, is what they say, right?
8: But anyway, uh, so he kind of over one uh, one, over one of those long lunches. I happen to mention that there hadn't been a Greek cookbook published in English in about ten years, and I remember the book, the last book at that time. This was now. This was the sort of late eighties. Um, was a book by a woman named Vilma Leacuras, and it was a very classic Greek cookbook. Um, an excellent book, but it was out of print. It hadn't been, in, you know, hadn't been, I guess, refreshed or whatever in a few years. And he introduced me to his agent. I wrote up a proposal. It took a year to sell the book. I got rejected by every single New York City publishing house wow. until one you know, said yes. And that was St. Martin's Press. And actually, I'm back with them again after it's sort of like come full circle. But, um, yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then, of course, I, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. I'm one of those people who says yes to a project. And yeah. then and
1: like, then you learn how to do then it. And I <laughs> actually
8: taught myself. I, this is really true. I mean, I could cook, but I really did teach myself how to cook while I was writing this book because we moved to Greece. We were in our – I was married at the time um, – we were in our mid to late 20s. Uh, my husband was an artist, uh, still is an artist, and all his friends were artists. And artists, as you probably know, are quite critical and demanding for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, so I cooked for them every night. And I, was, I subjected myself to their critiques. But it was actually a great exercise because then I learned how to fix yeah. the mistakes
1: trial kind of and thing. error yeah try
8: and try that's and so error.
1: interesting because when i watch your show uh it's it's so descriptive of not only how to prepare uh each ingredient to come to the final uh project but the stories that you tell and the kind of adventures that you take us on uh, w- leading up to a dish that you're preparing around the regions of greece or, or you know showing us a video of it uh is uh, it, you know it, it, it's like going on a, a little vacation every week with you
8: I think that's a great compliment i mean i have traveled a lot i've been in greece for 30 years and i did one of my favorite books and they're all favorite they're all like having you know you can't you don't pick a favorite child right but one book that I did uh, set out to write, and this was a classic example of biting off more than I could chew, was a book called The Glorious Foods of Greece, and I set out to document the regional foods of Greece. This is in the. That book came out in. I was. It was 2000. 2000. 2001. And. I traveled. That book took me eight years to research. And I traveled. My daughter was a young child and I took her with me everywhere. And I think half the times people just felt sorry for me because I was traveling alone. (laughs) A woman alone in Greece with a young child was a really weird, was a very weird thing 20 something years ago. And people would kind of feed me (laughs) like, oh, this woman's out of her mind with this kid. But anyway, give her
1: some food. You know, uh, it's so interesting. This book that you say took uh, eight years to cook. I found an early copy of this book in my mother's things when I was cleaning out her house. My mother really didn't cook from cookbooks ever. But uh, she she had your book and on it she wrote. Excellent.
8: That was the food and wine of Greece.
1: The food and wine of Greece. I remember the story
8: you told me. Yeah, that was. This was a different book. This was several books later. The glorious. Yeah, she
1: commented uh, on uh, on your book and how much she loved it. And then, uh, as I was looking at some of the recipes in the book, she changed some of the ingredients. She changed. She, she made her a, a few additions to uh, the recipes. Uh, Diane Kochellas with us uh, today on WGN will explain why she's in Chicago when we come right back. Seven twenty WGN. Created by uh, another great Greek guy, Sam Sianos. Cheeseburger, 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 no chips. Cook. Diane Kochilas, our guest on the program today, the host of My Greek Table on uh, PBS on Saturday Afternoons, 18 amazing uh, Greek and Mediterranean cookbooks. Uh, we're going to put the whole interview up on the web, WGNTV.com, and uh, you can see the segments that I did with Diane on television where we cooked for each other at WGNTV.com slash Cooks, It's got the recipes there. We've got the video segments uh, and uh, this uh, interview, the remainder of this interview. So I don't think we're going to have time to squeeze in here before the end of the hour because I wanted to uh, get our contest winner in. Producer Jack has been screening phone calls uh, for who is going to win this $100 gift card from the Barbecue Authority. And Lyle, Jack, what do, what do we have going on here? So after all the calls, I went with Mike with a grilled brisket, just the way he talked about it. It made me hungry. So made you, that's the key. It made me hungry. So yep. Mike was my pick. That's the that's the key to a good uh, recipe. Uh, Mike, uh, you you, uh, you won over producer Jack on this.
13: That is awesome, man. I just uh, I appreciate listening to your show, Dean, Thank and
1: you.
13: you know if I could if I could uh, give a few tips to. Uh, Listeners out there, I'm happy to.
1: Excellent. So tell me, what is, what is this grilled brisket recipe that uh, that you entice our, our new producer with?
13: Well, it all starts with the meat, uh, beef brisket, and preparing it, uh, trimming off that fat cap, to, down to about a quarter inch, okay, and then giving it a good rub. You know, which okay. I just use some basic ingredients you can find in any store in the bottle. Uh, paprika, yeah. There's but it a... starts with uh, like yellow mustard base, and rub it down real good. Okay, and just you know, paprika, grilled uh, or uh, grainly garlic, yeah.
1: onion, stuff they, like that. Yeah, they sell Pepper. they sell uh, uh, the, these barbecue rubs. There's a whole variety of them. If you don't want to make make and, your own, you can make your own, but uh, very easy to get exact. a good barbecue rub. But you put some of the mustard in there too, huh?
13: Well, I put the mustard down so the rub sticks. Got it. And then just let it sit for 24 hours okay. in the refrigerator. All right. And then what do you but do? do but grilling... Do you, do you
1: grill it, or do you smoke it?
13: Well, I do both. Okay. But I use charcoal grill, the old Weber kettle. Yep. But what I do is indirect heat, where I take some little patio bricks and just put another rack on top. Okay. But keep it cold, or it could be electric or gas or whatever on one side, mm-hmm. and keep the meat on the other. On the other side, right. And now, with the smoking of it, what I do is I use soup cans or tuna cans yeah. that are old, okay. washed out, and just put the chips in there and the water in uh, the other one. Okay. And and
1: that creates the smoke. Yeah. Now, how now, long?
13: And you can do that for like three or four hours, I like I said, say, about... Yeah. I was going to say, how long do
1: you leave it on the indirect heat? Like probably like a medium indirect heat, right?
13: Right. I'd say anywhere between 210 to 225 degrees is uh, okay. where you want your grill set at.
1: Okay. About three hour, three and hours, three hours enough, you think? Hour a pound. One hour per pound. Okay. Right, and then you want
13: to check it every half hour and make sure it's not getting too, you know, what they call the. Uh, the golden uh, the, the the black the bark the blackness. Yeah the bark, the bark. Yeah, you're right. You wanna cover that as soon as it starts to get good bark. Yeah, put some. So you foil check on. it every half yeah, hour. Right, right. And then, you know, from there you take it off and you can always put it in the oven for like two hundred degrees and just wrap it up.
1: Yeah, just keep it warm in the oven until you're ready to serve it. But then, it, then yeah, it just yeah,
13: exactly. You, it's just gonna, it's just gonna melt in your mouth. You won't need a fork or nothing. Right. You, wanna, this is the you want a pr- piece of
1: meat you, you can cook. You're right. You probably want to let it rest for a little while, twenty minutes, half well, you hour. Well, let, let it rest. You can
13: even you, I even stick it in the fridge. Oh wow. Let it get cold and then slice it because it's easier to slice when it's cold. Okay. All right. And then and then you can reheat it. Like an hour before,
1: two hundred degrees,
13: right. wrapped up in
1: foil. Put a little barbecue sauce on there.
13: Whatever you want. I mean, hot sauce, barbecue sauce, yeah, whatever you want.
1: That's a good recipe. So, hey, I'm going to send you a. I'm going to send you a one hundred dollar gift card, uh, Mike, for the Barbecue Authority oh in Lyle. Uh, you can go to barbecue, yeah, it, barbecueauthority.com dot com to learn more. Uh, but we're going to send that out to you. That's a fantastic recipe. For the, someone to try. I think I'm going to actually give it a try. I've never done brisket yeah, on the I grill. Do. I'm going to give it a try yeah. uh, this holiday weekend. I appreciate your call. I'm all out of time. You have a safe weekend, and everybody have a wonderful Sunday.